a leather lung fan, and they have a few in Boston, yelled, we didn't lose to the British, and we're not going to lose to British Columbia. Hansen gave it across with 15 to go. Despite that adversity, they followed their coach to the high road, and the high road is the road to the cup. No icing. For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. And they pour on to celebrate with Tim Thomas, their heroic goaltender. And welcome to episode number 26 of the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett here with my fully recovered from scurvy <laughs> co-host Don Russ as we present to you the Sportscasters' first annual Super Summer Spectacular. And uh, basically what that means is summertime. It is summertime. And first today, day of summer. Yeah, today yeah. is June 21st, 2011, as we record the first day of summer. It feels like summer here in Buffalo, New York. It's hot and sweaty in the podcast room. And uh, we're ready for a great show today. We have Jolo, Joe Lemire from SportsIllustrated.com to talk about baseball. You know, the NHL is over, the NBA is over. And football is still fighting, so right now we have baseball, and right after three things, we're going to get right into it and talk baseball with Joe Lemire. Uh, a couple things before we get started. Oh, and also, at the bottom of the show, we have Dan Wolken, who is now a national sports columnist for The Daily, which is an app for the iPad, and me being a big iPad guy, wanted to have Don, uh, Dan on to talk about what it's like to write for an app. <laughs> Definitely an interesting experience. Uh, a couple things before we get going, though. First, we have yet to really get into the meat and bones of our cross-promotion with the Fatty Hockey League, but now that it is summertime, we will get more into that. I talked to Nick the other day, uh, and we have done the one live blog. We plan on doing a couple more blogs, and we're also going to start doing some Athlete Spotlight podcasts, just like the one that we did with Carter Camper, the one that we did with Deuce McAllister, and uh, the one that we did with, who's the third guy? I know we've done three. The corner. Oh, Reggie Smith Reggie from Smith. Oklahoma. Exactly. That's right. So we will get into some of those. I know Pat Kane is on the schedule, Tim Kennedy, and a couple other interesting players that play in the Fatty Hockey League. So look for that. Also, one thing that I definitely want to stress, we are new to Stitcher. But if you download the app Stitcher, definitely search us. If you search the sportscasters, we come right up. And uh, it'd be really easy for you to find, but definitely give us a thumbs up on Stitcher if you can. And if you prefer to listen to the podcast that way, it's it's definitely an easy alternative. Uh, there's n- you know there's nothing to sync or anything like that. You can stream it right off of the app, just like Downcast and Instacast, two other apps that are very easy to use. But Stitcher, you have to actually apply, and they have to accept you and put you on. So we're finally on there, and it's just another way to find us. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash the sportscasters. We haven't gotten very new, very many new listeners on Facebook, uh, so we want to kind of stress that as we get into the summer. Also, you can find us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters. 
if you ever want to email us, don't be afraid. We're the sportscasters at gmail.com. And all of this can be found on our website, which is www.sports-casters.com. On the left-hand column, you'll find uh, a link to the Fatty Hockey League if you're interested in learning about that, as well as the link to our splash page on Stitcher. Um, do we want to do this or not? We want to call it that? What do you think? We did it for our moms. We called mom on Mother's Day. Why don't we try it? Why don't we call our dads real quick? We'll try mine first. I know he's on vacation and around. So we're going to do this cold, just like we did last time, and uh, see if we can get our dads on, top one, and uh, see what they have to say. So this will be interesting. Both of our dads listen to the podcast. So we'll see. This is my dad. His name's Ed. He's known for having a big head. Is that true? I don't know. Right. <laughs> and he had something to say while I was ringing. Hopefully he answers, you know, like that. My ex-boss, Ed. Yeah? Hello. Dad! Yeah? You're on the podcast. Say, Am I on the podcast? You are on right now, yes. Yeah, say hello <laughs> to the millions. How you doing? Very good. We just called to wish you a happy Father's Day. Uh, Why, thank you. Yep, your ex-employee Don is here. Wants to wish you a likewise. Yes, yeah, happy, happy Father's, Father's Day. Day. And uh, hey, we, yeah, we just thanks, we just called. Say Happy Father's Day. Tell we love you, and see if there's anything you know you wanted to tell the millions and millions of uh, sportscasters <laughs> listeners. The floor well, is yours. Actually, I just I just came out here to East Otto to visit with your aunt and uncle, and I'm standing here uh, having a cocktail with my friend Kenny, who bought some property out here, and. Uh, we had a, a great time out at uh, the Lidecker Road, the Barrelhead Reunion. Cock Robin track, you know, we attracted over 1,200 people that day. I'm glad, so glad that you guys made it. And uh, our next show is going to be down here in Boston at their uh, Barbecue Fest. That's this Friday. And you don't mind me plugging on your No, go for it. Yeah, it's cockrobin.com, right? Or is it cockrobinband.com? Yeah. CockRobinBand.com. Okay, com, and uh, it's an awesome time to, if you're just looking for some live music over the summer and you're in the Buffalo area, you got about seven shows coming up this summer, right? Mm, yep. Yep. Exactly. Erie County yeah, Fair. Play, and uh, yeah, we got some great shows coming up. I was so glad you were there and, uh, and your family because it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was probably one of the best shows we've ever done. It sounded great. They had a, you know, uh, they're are such accommodating hosts there that you know we were looking forward to doing it next year too. Oh, I don't know how accommodating they are. They didn't let me walk in for free. That's how I judge accommodating. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> all right, yeah, that's well, all the time we got for you, Dad. We love you, but that's about it. <laughs> we got to well, call. We still got to call Mr. Russ. So you got about two minutes. That's about it. Okay, well, I uh, appreciate you guys calling. This is your Father's Day special. I'm yep. happy you, you called me and that I'm on. Yep, it's a and super summer spectacular. A great job, and I think you're uh, headed for a great future in sports broadcasting. All right, Dad, we thank you. We love you. I'll thank talk you. to you soon. Nice to see you. Hear you. All right, I love you too. Bye, Dan. Bye. Okay, Mr. Russ is up. I have to actually look up his phone number. I think I would know my father's phone number. So that was my dad. He's kind of talkative, apparently. I guess that's maybe where I got it from. And you, he got was, a, you got a good plug-in, though. Yeah, he's talking about he does lights, or no, sound for Cock Robin. It's a local cover band. They've been around since before I was born. And if you're interested in that, it's cockrobinband.com. They like to say, rock with the cock. <laughs> it's clever. Yep, and party hardy. 
another one of their slogans. <laughs> All right, so where's Bill? Here he comes. He's on his way. Let's see. We'll probably cut some of this in post here. <laughs> here he comes. You better not ruin the streak. We're three I for know. three here. With parents? Yeah. Hello? Dad. Yeah. Hey, you're on the podcast. Hi, Mr. Ross. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, we're just calling our dads to say Happy Father's Day. And, uh... Are you... What? You leaving uh, camping, or...? No, 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 no. We're on the podcast now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's we're... my dad doing on the podcast? Yeah, we're oh, just who is <laughs> we're just calling. Thank you. Yeah, we're just calling to say Happy Father's Day. Uh, we got a hold of Steve's dad just a minute ago, and uh, we're four for four now with the mothers and the fathers. So uh, Happy Father's Day. Uh, we love you. Thanks for listening. All that fun stuff, and I'll see you Thursday. Yeah, Mr. Russ is a great listener. He always downloads, gives us some critiques. So we definitely <laughs> appreciate that. How you doing, Mr. Russ? Okay. Happy we'll Father's listening. Day. Yep. Bye. All right, bye. bye. He didn't seem that comfortable on the podcast. My dad's a my dad's a man of few words. Yeah, he wanted out of there quick. A little bit quieter than my dad. You know what? I actually uh, gave him a text on Father's Day because I wasn't around. Uh huh. And my wife Michelle yelled at me. She's like, "What are you doing? You don't call him." Yeah, yeah, and definitely call. She said, uh, "I told her. I said, Dad's not a phone guy. I'm not a phone guy." So, all right, well, let's do three things. Yeah, I'll see him Thursday. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty, I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. My first thing this week, Vancouver. Uh, I know your hockey team lost, but what the hell? I mean, these guys just, these fans lost their mind, and they're 0 for 2 and not losing their mind now. Yep, 94, 94? and uh, now in 2011, they've rioted both times. Yeah, not, not, not exactly riots either. And No, uh, I've watched a video online of this guy that was kind of like saying, calm down, uh, he was kind of protecting this truck. I don't think it was necessarily his truck, but he was protecting his truck from being burnt, and someone was taping with a camera phone, and one of the people that was kind of like trying to calm the rioters even says, Look, the world is watching, so uh, people are getting busted now because their faces are on all these YouTube videos, and they're going to get charges pressed against them. And yeah, I heard a story about a kid in Vancouver who had a scholarship to the University of Calgary, and that's been pulled because of his involvement in the uh, riots. So there's been some severe consequences, and I think this might be the first Twitter riot um, <laughs> after a sporting event, you know, where... The whole world was watching it unfold on Twitter and um, on the internet and all the pictures. Uh, there was a couple of uh, tweeters from the Vancouver area, reporters in Vancouver, who did a real good job following the story. And, of course, there's now that famous photo of the, the couple making out on the street in between a burning car and a policeman. Uh, and that photo, will, I think, would be one of, the, one of the images we'll remember f- for a long time. And uh, it's too bad because it did take away a little bit from what was a great seven-game series. Yeah, and there's an interesting uh, parallel here. I found a UFC article, and now I'm not the biggest MMA guy. I'd have to get some clarification maybe from my brother. But May 19th, this article was written. And it said that 
in three weeks, UFC 131 would return to Vancouver. So I'm not sure. So that's how it could happen. It may have already happened. Yeah. And I guess when the UFC went to Vancouver, the Rogers Arena and Vancouver wanted the UFC to pay for additional security because they thought that UFC crowds are too violent. And uh, the second last paragraph, the author of this article says, are MMA crowds worse than hockey, boxing, or football crowds? I've never seen an example. So apparently it only took him a week or so later to find his answer. uh, No, apparently they're not. Yeah, uh, UFC 131, it was last week, DeSantos versus Carwin. Yeah, I didn't hear about any riots. Yeah, it was Saturday, June 11th. So... The UFC, by the way, did turn down their request for extra police. Yeah, I, I wouldn't blame them because, you know, uh, the UFC is not in charge of securing the streets <laughs> of Vancouver as far <laughs> right. as I know. I mean, that's what the Mounties are for, yeah. right? Maybe the Canucks should uh, yeah. uh, pay for some extra security. Uh, talk about, we talked about something that was horrible. Something that was pretty incredible was Rory McIlroy just absolutely dominated the U.S. Open this weekend. Uh, Zach Rosenfield was here last week with my brother and myself, and we previewed the tournament. We, we mentioned McElroy as definitely a, a contender, but I think people were a little nervous at how he would bounce back after blowing the Masters. Not sure if you're familiar, Don, but this kid had the lead after the third day of the Masters and melted down shooting an 80, ended up finishing, uh, I think, still in the top 10, but obviously not winning. And the first major after, he bounced back, dominated the whole weekend, uh, sent set over 12 uh, ra- U.S. Open records. He's born in 1989. I think that makes him about 21 years old. He's played in 10 majors so far. He's already finished in the top 10 five times. He's got one major, three total wins, one, on the, one other on the PGA, one in the European Tour. He's from Northern Ireland, and he's the next star of golf. And I'm pretty excited about him. And you know what? I'm not a big Tiger Woods fan, but I kind of hope that Tiger Woods can get healthy again because I want to see if this kid can stare... Stare Tiger down, you know, and uh, give him a rival in the last few years of his career. And also, I hope that one of these younger players, and my brother Anthony suggested Jason Day, who's finished second of the last two majors, who's only one year older than Rory, could be the guy that these two could just battle for the next 10 years. And I think, you know, golf was great with the Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas rivalry, and I think that that's one thing Tiger lacked, although he sort of had Phil Mickelson as a rival, but no one ever, I think, considered Phil an equal, always kind of a 1B to Tiger. So I'm excited about the future of golf, and Royal McIlroy was incredible. So uh, props to him. Jumping from one major sporting event to another, Wimbledon started this week. I'm not the biggest tennis fan. I don't know even that much about tennis, but I... uh, was on in the middle of the woods for a week and had next to no uh, uh, way to get a hold of any media. So I was sports free for a week. So it's a nightmare. Yeah, I was looking forward to watching some sports. So I sat down today, turned on ESPN two to see the Wimbledon uh, being played. And I got to say, the coverage. Now I'm not positive, but when they would cut to commercial, it looked like you could see people playing on one of the how many courts are there? Like eight or something like that. Yeah, you could see people playing the entire time, and I did have to get up, get go back and forth from the TV. I never saw one uh, second of tennis. It was just people talking about tennis, and I'm pretty sure tennis was being played. So the Wimbledon coverage, uh, I don't need to hear about the two guys that played in the longest tennis match ever. Ironically, they played it nine hours less this year. 
Oh, it's over? Yeah, they play, They managed to finish it in nine less hours than I had the Yeah, previous. that was the first bit of tennis I finally got to see was when those two started after hearing the announcers talk about them for literally about an hour. So, I don't know. I mean, you want to get the your athletes out there and in the spotlight. I guess it's not maybe not tennis's fault, but the coverage on ESPN2, I, I wasn't happy with it. I would have much rather seen two tennis players I've never heard of play the game than hear Chris Everett and whoever else is on there from ESPN talk about something that happened last year. You know, I, I just finished the ESPN book, and during the book club update today, we're going to talk a little bit about it. And, you know, when, it, when we were younger, yeah, the Wimbledon always used to be on HBO, at least for part of the time. And that was always an interesting spot for me, and I used to enjoy their coverage. And it was a big, big coup for ESPN when they finally did get Wimbledon. And uh, it's, it's nice to have that coverage during the week when I think it's on, I think it's on NBC eventually when we get down to the championship rounds. I could be wrong about that, but uh, yeah, it's, it's too bad that, that the coverage has been bad. I, I haven't, haven't really started with Wimbledon yet, but another note about Wimbledon, John Wertheim is there right now. Our buddy John Wertheim right. uh, is at Wimbledon, and we'll get a full report from him when he does return for sure. My number two thing, it seems like the NFL is a little bit, a little bit closer to a deal. Uh, the NFL owners have been meeting in Chicago. Uh, it's the first time all 32 owners have had the chance to sit down and, and talk about what's been work, working out between the owners and the players. And I've got a few bullet points here to bounce off you, Donnie. This is uh, some details of a proposed collective bargaining agreement. This is according to ESPN.com. Right. This is all unofficial. Yeah. These are right. just according to sources right. at the owners' meeting. Uh, the players will get 48% of all revenue. Uh, players' uh, share should never dip below 46.5%. Uh, teams will be required to spend close to 100% of the salary cap. So that will affect the small market teams. They yeah, won't they be able to stay down in the lower, lower numbers anymore. They, they point out the Bills and Bengals might have trouble with that. Yep. Uh, teams, uh, the rookie wage scale will be a part of the deal, but they're still tweaking that. Yep. I think that th- what they're working on there is the players are going to want to make sure that that money stays in the league, that they don't just take $64 million away from the number one pick. Jamarcus Russell. Right, and take it out of the league. <laughs> right. They want that to be redistributed, redistributed in some way to veterans. Uh, four years will be needed for unrestricted free agent status. There will be certain stag- tags re- retained. The 18-game regular season will be just a negotiated term. Not part of the deal. And the, probably the most exciting thing is a new 16-game Thursday night TV package beginning in 2012. Hey, there's no reason not to watch football on TV all year. I'm totally for that. Um, owners will get some expense credits that will allow funding for new stadiums. New stadiums are great, and especially when communities don't have to pay for them. Um, and retiree benefits is going to uh, double to $18 million. So it sounds – all this sounds great. Right. Now – Let's take the next step and sign it and sign it, yep. tweak it, get everything perfect and sign it because we need football. And one thing I will say is that I think, I think we're past the point where there's going to be a season canceled. I think they're at least close enough now that there will be a season and that they will find a way to get this done without canceling games. I would hope so. I think it seems like they're close enough. That's speculation on my part, but... I would be shocked at this point if they didn't get a deal. Yeah, and as far as the fans concerned, I mean, most of those things, uh, the bullet points discussed, have no bearing on the fans except for the Thursday night games, which is awesome, and maybe the stadiums because right now taxpayers pay for stadiums and 
that would be exciting. Get that contract signed and sign. I mean, why do they? Why are the CBAs so short? Do you know? Because uh, I think things change so quickly in the world now. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. An interesting thing to point out about the last CBA is, and I'm not going to say I know enough about it to say he was right, but the one person that refused to sign it was Ralph Wilson, and everyone kind of thought he was crazy. Crazy old man. Maybe he was on to something. So we'll see what he thinks of this CBA, uh, or maybe he is just a crazy old man. I don't know. Uh, my third thing, David Tyree. Now, this is kind of a sensitive topic, but David Tyree went on, uh, he told ESPN's Jeremy Schapp basically that he would trade the catch, which might be the greatest play in any Super Bowl, to make sure that he could stop the passing of a law that would allow gay marriage. In New York State. In New York State. Yeah. Uh, okay, buddy. Yeah, my <laughs> thought isn't so much about. I'm not going to take a stance on gay marriage or against gay marriage. That's not the uh, the position of a sports podcast necessarily. And I, I just I'll don't, take one. Who cares? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's, I just don't <laughs> have. A strong, get, yeah, right. I don't cares. care. What's surprising to me is that he feels so strongly about something that doesn't affect him that he would give up immortality. Right, which is basic. What is basically his only moment. Did you know who David Tyree was before that? No. And nobody did. But David Tyree will die. But this moment will live, live forever. forever. So he's willing to give away immortality for to keep people from being married that he doesn't know. Right. That would not affect his life in any way. His life would not change. If his neighbors got married, there were two men. David Tyree's life, same. Right. And interestingly enough, he even says... He doesn't oppose marriage-style benefits for gay couples. He just doesn't want the M word to be used. So it's 100% religious, which I guess you can give him some credit for being but there's passionate no, about it. But there's nothing worse than trying to force your own religious beliefs on others. Somebody, right. You know, I'm perfectly fine with David Tyree believing whatever he wants to believe, even if it's that he believes that gay marriage shouldn't be. But to say that just to come out and take a stance like this, it just it lends you to igno- it lends you to be perceived as ignorant. Right. He should probably put more of his efforts into getting back into the league. Right. I, I don't even think he's on a team. No, he's not. He might have not even made it back to the Giants that next season. He did not. So, I mean, it's 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 a little bit sad. This guy's had a troubled uh, history. He makes one of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history and then just kind of vanishes. And He earned immortality but is willing to give it up for essentially nothing. Nothing. Yep. All right. My number third thing, same as last week, Kenny Britt, you are a disaster. <laughs> what is wrong with Kenny Britt? All right, here's what happened since last week. Reportedly, uh, Brendan... Prunty reported via Twitter that the troubled receiver had updated, this is from our buddies at SportsGrid, had updated his private Facebook page with the very, this point, retiring from the NFL, fuck you, Goodell. 25 minutes later, he changed his mind and presented this. Change of heart. My family's always here for me. I made mistakes and I'm sorry. I'm going to change and become a better person and mentor for all young fans. I'll accept any penalty like a man. The road begins September 11th in Jacksonville. I'll be ready. Don't bother. You won't be there. I guarantee he will be suspended. I guarantee it. And also, he has said that he did not make these comments on Facebook. 
He was hacked. He was hacked. <laughs> and that not only was his original comment, but also his, his change of position were both just comments that a hacker made. So he had a hacker who made a comment that p- potentially ruined his career, but that was nice enough to apologize for that comment. The hacker, yeah. Yeah, so he's a very kind hacker. Yeah, the idea that Ken, uh, there's a hacker out there that cares enough about an average to below average wide receiver is insane. But well, the guy's got skills. The guy could be great, actually. Well, yeah, he's got an unbelievable he year, body. Right. He could be very, very good. He's probably the best football player to ever play at Rutgers. He could be great. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't call him average. I guess I should say a guy with a very short. A very small portfolio. He doesn't have the credentials right. of, of maybe a Terrell Owens or somebody who's been a clown but has years and years of statistics to back him up. This guy's played in a much shorter window. He's much younger. But he has the potential to be great. Instead, he'd rather be a clown. And if you go to his, his page on Facebook, you'll get a laugh because there's all kinds of people who have taken to it to just lecture him yeah. and kind of say things like I said. You're a disaster. Clean up. What, what I don't understand is the timing of it. Say, I mean, assuming it wasn't actually hacked, and that's the same. It's basically the second step to the uh, "just kidding" excuse. Why would he choose now to say he's retiring from the NFL? Well, I think he's just mad because he knows the consequences that are facing him when the lockout is resolved. Right. You know, he's had too many run-ins with the law that he's going that reckless driving. Right. There's no way he's going to be able to avoid the suspension. Uh, under the personal conduct policy that I assume will be part of the league's agreement. I mean, the league isn't going to come back without a personal conduct policy. The league's not going to come back and say, okay, everyone's free to be an idiot. Yeah. So he's going to have to face the consequences. And if he's at, at the game on January or September 11th on Jacksonville, it's only because the commissioner was too busy to get to him. But he <laughs> will, and you know, he will get to him at some point. It seems like athletes will never learn that the best thing to do is just apologize and act humble. I mean, the ones that do tend to skate. Yeah, know. why not the next post be, you know what, I got really mad. I was fired up. I made a mistake. I should have never said that publicly. I'm sorry. Right. Sorry, Commissioner Goodell. Right. I'm sure I'll have the chance to talk to you more <laughs> later right. in your office. <laughs> uh, but that's three things for this week. It's the Summer Sports Spectacular on the Sportscasters. It's going to be a long show. Uh, we have quite a bit to do. I mentioned that. Joe Lemire is with us. We're going to talk to him next about baseball. Then we're going to come back. We're going to do a really short book club update. And then we're going to have two interviews. The one I mentioned at the top with Dan Wolken from The Daily. And also an interview with Tim Graham, who is currently with ESPN.com. But he has something to say in our interview about that. Yeah, absolutely. His long-term future. So a little bit of breaking news here on the Sportscasters. Uh, so Tim Graham will be here as well. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Joe Lemire. Then we're going to come back for a book club update. And then there will be two interviews. And we'll cap it all off with pick four, which is also a little bit different. So stick with us. It's a long show. Listen to it in parts. It's the Sportscaster Summer Spectacular. We'll be right back. Our next guest was born in Richmond, Virginia, and spent his childhood in Lowell, Massachusetts before returning to the South for college, where he graduated from the University of Virginia. Today, he is a writer for SI.com, where he covers Major League Baseball. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Joe Lemire. How are you doing today, Joe? 
Doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. So, is Aaron Brooks your all-time Virginia Cavalier? Your favorite Virginia player of all time, Aaron Brooks? Uh, you know, actually, I was a contemporary and covered Matt Schaub extensively. I was partly responsible for him receiving the uh, brief-lived nickname of the Scheisman um, as part of the Shop for Heisman campaign, which my work for the student paper found its way even into a USA Today profile. So as you can imagine, as a 20-year-old aspiring journalist, um, that was sort of a big moment. In fact, I might be the owner of the only autograph in which Matt Schaub himself signed his rookie card, the Scheisman. He, he did that for me <laughs> after he graduated. That's great. That's a great story. So then I guess you, you, you're you saying you prefer Schaub over Brooks then? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I do. I'm sort of uh, lean toward the, uh, the the more recent Cavaliers. Um, also, Keith Miller was his go-to guy, uh, just dumping passes over the middle to him. Um, there was a Virginia team with a lot of great pro prospects, Berkshaw Ferguson protecting the blind side. Um, Chris Long came in just as those guys were leaving. Um, you know, sort of disappointing that the team couldn't uh, sustain more success at the college level, but they certainly sent on some uh, good ambassadors to the NFL. Hopefully, we don't get too far off topic here, but I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the uh, the Tiki Barber controversy? Um, the, I'm not sure there's so much of a, a controversy. I mean, he did something that. Uh, you know, people reacted poorly to as probably they should, and uh, you know that now that he's you know wants to make a comeback, and he's certainly entitled to do so. Uh, I don't see him being more than you know a, a backup anywhere. I don't think anyone else does either way. He's certainly not. Uh, in the last couple of years, hasn't represented uh, my alma mater quite as well uh, as I think we would have liked. But um, you know, I'll still. Uh, I'll still pull for at least the, the memory of him and that team that upset Florida State in the 90s, the first to beat them in, uh, after, the, after the Knowles came to the ACC. Um, and uh, I'll always prefer Ronde. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back on topic. We had John today to talk about baseball. And this is what I'm wondering. You know, there, there's probably a large segment of, of folks out there, and I'm, I'm sort of one of them, but not really, because I, I've been following the Derek Jeter thing quite a bit. But. I think there's probably a portion of sports fans who were all wrapped up in the NHL and the NBA playoffs, maybe more so the NBA playoffs. And now that those are over and there's no football yet, probably it's time to really focus on baseball. And I think that this is probably next month. Baseball is really going to have an opportunity to be in the front line and be, be the main man in sports, so to speak. So my question to you is, what did we miss so far in the baseball season? If we haven't been paying close enough attention, what are some of the big storylines that have went down while we were watching the uh, playoffs in the NBA and the NHL? Uh, well, well, the biggest one has been the fact that this is the year of the pitcher, too, sort of the, the sequel that's bigger and better than even the, than the last year. There's that old joke uh, about someone showing up in the fifth inning, seeing it zero zero, and saying, "Oh, I haven't missed anything." Uh, and in some ways, it, you know, runs are down across baseball: batting average, home runs, on base, slugging, strikeouts are up. Basically, every category that uh, sways toward the the side of the pitcher um, is at a high, mostly in the last two decades. Basically, sort of what's considered the pre-steroid era. You know, sort of dating back to ninety-one, ninety-two, or so. Um, so, it, what you missed has been some outstanding pitching performances. We've already had a, a couple of no-hitters, thanks to Francisco Liriano and Justin Verlander. And though it's a somewhat difficult uh, statistic to track cumulatively over the year, it, anecdotally, it certainly seems that the, the number of five, six, seven-inning no-hitters that sort of get lost in the late innings is at an at a high as well. 
And so if, if you're someone who really loved the McGuire Sosa 98 home run chase and the ensuing years and you like seeing cartoonish sluggers, you know, uh, pepped up on, on steroids and amphetamines, then maybe this isn't the baseball season you want to, to be to be latching on to. But if you, if you appreciate, you know, good, crisp games that have you know, outstanding defense, uh, a lot of major league teams are, are really focusing their personnel decisions on speed and defense. There's kind of a return to that part of the game uh, now that home runs are down. Uh, and, and particularly, it's the pitching that's made a big difference. And I, I think there are a few reasons for it. One, you know, as I just mentioned, alluded to the, uh, the, the, the lack of drugs in baseball. Uh, but I think you're also looking at um, the, the, the cut fastball has really changed the way the game's been played in the last decade. Not that it didn't exist prior, uh, but a lot more pitchers are adopting it and using it very effectively. And late movement is so hard for a hitter to catch up on. You look at someone like Josh Beckett, who is known as a you know a 95 and up you know hard fastball guy. This year, his fastball velocity is down several miles an hour, largely because he's been using a <clears throat> using a, a cutter that's darting away from hitters, or at least right-handed hitters, uh, and he's having you know what, perhaps his best first half of the season uh, of his career. And that's just one example of guys who've used that very well. And so, uh, I think that's the, the overriding storyline for me is how much pitchers have continued to reassert their dominance that last year wasn't just a fluke, but that's the way the game's trending. When you say cut fastball, I think of Mariano Rivera and broken bats. You mentioned Josh, Be- Josh Beckett. Who are some other pitchers that have adopted the cut fastball and really used it to help dominate? Uh, well, basically all of the Phillies. So that's sort of the, the number one, um, uh, the, the, the real bastion of the, of the cut fastball disciples is in Philadelphia right now. Roy Halladay learned it from an old pitching coach in the Toronto system. He brought it with him. Uh, and I think Cliffley might have already been throwing it, but it's throwing even more now. Uh, Cole Hamels has probably pitched the best of their four big aces, uh, and uh, and if you look at his pitch distribution, you see that he, you know he's throwing cut fastballs at a much higher rate than he ever has in his career. I think Oswald's been using it some as well. Um, actually, my colleague Albert Chen wrote a, a story about the cut fastball, and I think it was two weeks ago issue of yeah, uh, the magazine. magazine. Yeah, and uh, I think he even had a stat that it was uh, some outstanding number, maybe thirty or forty percent of all pitches thrown by Philly starters this year have been cut fastballs. Um, so that's sort of the top. You know, in Boston, you have Beckett, but also John Lester. Uh, you know, Ricky Romero is using it in Toronto. Um, yeah, there are sort of probably too many to name, but those are just a few of the more high-profile examples of guys like Halliday and Beckett. I think are interesting because they, you know, had already been established, uh, and even at this late juncture in the career, are using it more and more. They're sort of reinventing themselves somewhat. We're talking a lot about pitchers so far, but one of the big bats in the league, Albert Pujols, went down with a fractured arm the other day. Uh, two questions about that. One, how do you think it affects the Cardinals in the short term? They're kind of battling back and forth with the Brewers. And how do you think it affects maybe in the bigger picture Albert Pujols, who's set to be a free agent this season? And do you think it maybe will be a blessing in disguise in the sense that it might keep his market a little bit Lower and uh, will help St. Louis resign him, or is that making too big yeah, of a leap? The, yeah, no, I think you're onto something there. Uh, let me get the the first part of the question. Uh, I think this opens a, a large opportunity for Cincinnati as well. They were my preseason pick to win the Central. I mean, I'm certainly sticking with it. Um, you know, they're only two and a half games behind St. Louis, and they play St. Louis six times in the next four weeks, which is the minimum reported time that Pujols is out. Although most people suspect they'll actually be at least six. Um, 
And, and so St. Louis, in these next four weeks, not only do they have those games with Cincinnati, uh, they're playing the Rays and, and several other teams that are, are above 500. So this is a real critical juncture for them. Uh, they should be okay. Um, I wouldn't expect them to gain more ground. I think they're up by half a game on the Brewers at the moment. Um, but, you know, they're equipped to move, to move Lance Berkman from right field to first base. And though Berkman isn't as good of a fielder as Pujols, uh, he's a horrible right fielder. Uh, he just has very little range. And so moving John Jay, who is one of the best fourth outfielders in baseball, and getting him every day at bat in right field, it's not as much of a net loss as it could be. And even in those first two months before Pujols was fought June, uh, he was really struggling in April and May, uh, far below his own career standards. In fact, even a, a slight tick below the, the standards of the average National League first baseman. Uh, so if they are able to start building their what became of the Major League's best record as of a week ago, if they started building that in those first two months with only average Pujols play, uh, you know, making the move to Berkman at first and, and putting Jay and Wright, uh, it shouldn't be so different than what they've already contended with this year. As for the, the latter point about the, the future, this certainly helps St. Louis. Um, you know, Pools is only, uh, you know, a listed age of 31. He's um, certainly not an old guy uh, in, in by baseball standards, but by the end of a seven, eight, nine, or even 10-year contract, he will be then. And any time a, a player is adding injuries to his resume, that's going to start scaring some teams off. And, and wrist injuries have a, a wide spectrum of guys being able to return uh, and be the same player. Jason Worth had major problems in the early part of his career. He was a first-round pick that seemed to be a bust until you know years later uh, he was able to find the, the right specialist and have the right procedure. And obviously now he's had a, several good years in Philadelphia and uh, he just signed that big deal with Washington. You look at Tulowitzki, who bounced back from uh, a similar injury last year and had that huge home run binge in September. But those guys are almost... Uh, the exception. Most guys do struggle to, to regain their power, at least in any timely manner. So this may uh, may hurt the Cardinals' chances in making a real divisional run this year, uh, but it may scare enough teams away or at the very least may uh, make teams a little more shy about opening up their purse strings with years and money in the offseason. And the Cardinals are going to have such an extreme amount of uh, local pressure from their fans to resign pools that they're not going to be able to compete with a 250 or 300 million dollar total value contract. But if it's something, well, if it starts keeping down toward only 200 million dollars, uh, there's going to be this, such great pressure for them to match that offer uh, that they, they, this may actually help them retain the, the services of pools for the rest of his career. Not to get too far. We're on pool, so let's just stick with this for a second. Let's uh, who who can realistically sign Albert Pujols? I mean, I think of teams like Philadelphia and New York, but Philadelphia has Ryan Howard, New York has Mark Teixeira. Who would be in the market, and is there any chance for uh, that the Royals would be interested, or is it just way out of their league in terms of price? I'm sorry to say, Royals or Orioles? Royals. You know, just yeah, with him uh, being well, a Kansas Ro- City guy. Yeah. And, yeah, okay. Uh, well, Kansas City uh, wouldn't seem to have the well, certainly wouldn't have the budget. But even more importantly, they've got Eric Hosmer at, at first base, mm-hmm. one of the best hitting prospects in baseball, and I think they'd want to keep him there uh, and devote their resources to making sure that in a few years' time, when as many of their blue chip guys reach the majors, that they're able to retain them and start signing them to long term deals to to really form a core rather than just simply have a. Uh, it's just simply be a way station for some of these guys in the early part of their career. Makes sense. Um, 
I mean, you, you, I would never put anything past the Red Sox or Yankees to at least make a, a perfunctory offer to to make sure that no one gets them gets Pujols for too cheap. Uh, you know, the, the Red Sox, uh, David Ortiz is uh, probably one of the most underreported stories of the year. He's having a fantastic season, uh, and. and and he is going to be a free agent. He's playing so well that the Red Sox, you know, because they already have so many long-term deals with Crawford and Gonzalez, uh, will almost certainly try to re-sign Ortiz as their DH. But it's not I'm completely out of the realm of possibility that you know either Gonzalez or, or Pools becomes their DH. And same with the Yankees; they have to share. But with Basada in his final year, you know, they could theoretically um, sign them to DH. But I don't see those as real serious considerations. Uh, I do think St. Louis is the most likely destination for him to, to remain there. Uh, but the, the Nationals have certainly not been shy about uh, sending out, uh, by making large contract offers recently. They do have uh, what I believe is reportedly the, the richest owner in, in all of uh, the majors. Um, and if the Mets ownership situation uh, changes, or, or even if the, that lawsuit, uh, the Madoff related lawsuit is, is settled or, or dismissed, you know, maybe they have a shot. They certainly have the market for it. Um, but it's certainly not a large number of teams, and those are the ones. That, you know, Detroit is certainly uh, has money, in, um, and and Illich has not been shy about using it as well. The White Sox always have tricks up their sleeves, although with Connecticut and Dunn, uh, I'm guessing they probably won't make such a move. Um, so it it really is starting to point that St. Louis is going to be where Pujols remains, but uh, the, the the Cubs. Uh, well, I remiss not mentioning the Cubs. They're obviously going to be the, the most serious bidder. Not only to depri- uh, because they have a lot of money, but uh, because they are the they are rival of the Cardinals, and so right. they serve be scoring a double victory uh, by prying him away. So uh, you know, St. Louis and Chicago will be bidding back and forth, uh, and uh, and uh, I think St. Louis will do everything they can to to match what is a reasonable offer. There was a report a report that came out yesterday that said that Bud Selig had canceled a television deal that the Dodgers are trying to make with Fox. Uh, what is the ownership? I know that the McCourts are involved with a divorce, and there's some kind of crazy ownership thing going on in the Dodgers. Maybe you can explain it a little bit better for our fans. Well, yeah, if we're recording Tuesday for a Wednesday podcast, it may be completely dated by what I say tomorrow. <laughs> it seems like constantly there's a, a new injunction, a new settlement. There's something new happening constantly. Uh, I think as far as I understand it, and it's not something I've been charged with monitoring as closely as some of the on-field action, uh, but from my understanding is the the, dog, the Major League Baseball presumably is just sort of waiting for them to fail to make payroll. And uh, one of Manny Ramirez's large deferred uh, payments, I think it's like $6 million is due at the end of this month on top of the normal payroll commitment. Um, some sources have told Los Angeles Times that there's really no way the Dodgers are going to be able to meet that. Uh, and so Major League Baseball will, will presumably seize control of the team as soon as they fail to make their payments. Uh, and on the other side, there's uh, an upcoming uh, one-day trial uh, of sorts or hearing, I guess, uh, to determine uh, full ownership of the Dodgers and whether it is Frank McCourt owning all of it or whether he will be splitting half of it with Jamie. Um, that they're apparently uh, reportedly looking for a minority investor the way the Mets did, but it's hard to find someone to invest if they if to invest with Frank McCourt if they don't know if he owns 50 percent of the team or 100 percent of the team. Um, and so we're, we're waiting on that one day hearing to determine who, how the ownership is going to be played out, and we're also sort of waiting for uh, for, for one of their checks to bounce. Um, hopefully by the second half of summer it'll all be cleared up and the Dodgers can again be uh, a proud franchise rather than one embroiled in off-field scandals. 
you mentioned the Mets. What, what do you think they should do with Jose Reyes? Uh, if at all possible, they need to re-sign him. I mean, he is by far the most exciting player at the moment. You know, the home runs don't play in City Field, and home runs are kind of down across baseball anyway. Uh, and, and, and Reyes, you know, looking at a triple is often the, you know, the, the most exciting play in baseball, and he's leading the majors in those. He's wow. batting 340. Yeah. He's showing some pretty good plate discipline, um, and he's playing very well at shortstop. And particularly with Ike Davis and David Wright out for extended periods, He's really the only reason to be watching the Mets this season. Uh, and the Mets, more than most teams, because of their own financial difficulties, really rely on gate receipts, which are already down. Uh, other than the Dodgers, it's the second biggest decrease in all of the majors in attendance. Uh, and so if they were to trade Jose Reyes, I can't even imagine uh, what the ticket situation would be with the rest of the year. I doubt there would be any walk-up sales on any given day, except maybe for a good opponent coming through town. Um, that said, you know, Reyes, um, you know, uh, 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 an associate of his apparently told the New York Daily News just yesterday that he's not going to be signing for the Chief, probably not looking for a hometown discount. He sees this as his one big opportunity to, you know, set up this family for life, and, and it's hard to, to fault him for that, but it will certainly make it more difficult for the Mets to resign him. Um, I think they owe it to their fans to hold on to him for the rest of the year. I know unless they're blown away by, um, you know, six or seven prospect package uh, at the trade deadline, if anything less than something that would completely reinvent the franchise isn't worth it, take the two draft picks and, you know, if you lose them as a free right. agent, but make an honest effort uh, to, to, to do whatever you can to, to, to keep them in, uh, in, in uh, blue and orange. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a tough spot because we're being in Buffalo. We've seen plenty of stars walk away on, when the trade, you know, when the uh, free agency starts, and it's tough to lose those guys for nothing, you know. But at least in baseball, you do get the uh, get the two draft picks. You, you said that you do focus a lot on the field. What's happened to the Marlins all of a sudden? Yeah, they're uh, certainly they were playing uh, above their head for those first two months, um, and, and one of the the more people study baseball, the more they find these trends. And, you know, increasingly, games decided by one run. Though that would seem to be, uh, you know, a, such a skill to win close games with good managing and good bullpens. And certainly those factors help. Uh, but by and large, uh, you know, over a long enough sample size, a large enough sample size, one-run games sort of start to even out. That even the best teams and the worst teams come close to that 500 record of one-run games. And the Marlins, I think, started off like 14 and four, give or take, in one-run games. And then they, when they began the their losing streak, like seven of their eight first losses were by one run. And then some of it's just kind of evening out what, what was all along expected. But Hanley Ramirez, you know, their star player, has been. Uh, way below uh, even the average NL shortstop in, in production. He's been, uh, he just has not been himself at the plate. You know, Mike Stanton has uh, uh, certainly contributed some power, but hasn't taken that next step to being a superstar that some people um, just assume is destined for him. Gabby Sanchez is playing at an all-star level, um, but the the, um, the lack of production from Hanley and the continued absence of their star pitcher and Josh Johnson, who had the best April of anyone in baseball, is really wearing on the team, and when the manager admits that the loss of Johnson has made a psychological, uh, you know, impact on the team, that it must be really extreme. Because you know, you know how everyone tries to toe the party line and not give up, not give up, uh, you know, any insights uh, into what's really bothering the team. But if the manager is publicly stating it, then it had to have been a problem. And clearly, things got to be so much for him that he just resigned. 
Uh, you know, Jack McKeon uh, led that turnaround in '03, but that was eight years ago. Uh, that turn, he, he was hired much earlier in the season with more time to make up ground. Uh, the Marlins are sort of a sinking ship, which is a, a PR disaster for them, considering they're opening up their brand new stadium next year. They really need to right the ship, or, or at least make some splashes in the off season in order to fill the, fill, the, fill their new building next year. There was a report that uh, Major League Baseball is interested in possibly realigning, and you did write about it a few weeks ago, and I know you said that you are against the thought of there not being divisions. If there is realignment, how would you like to see it done? Yeah, I, I think something simple uh, is all that's needed, and that's um, there are six teams in the National League Central. There are four teams in the American League West. A team in the American League West thus has a much better chance of making the playoffs because they only have to beat out three, three teams yeah. instead of beating out five teams. And I know a long-standing resistance to that is that having 15 teams in each league means that you need to have an interleague series at all times in order for the schedule to work. And I don't see why that's a problem. I know for the first 10 years or so, interleague play was this novelty, this event, and you know, Major League Baseball wanted to restrict it to a certain amount of time to sort of you know, build anticipation for it. But I think a lot of that has worn off. People are used to seeing American League teams play National League teams. And there are really only about a dozen geographic or other historical rivals that really make sense, that really drive interleague play. So if it's, you know, say the Diamondbacks playing the Mariners, is that really so different than uh, a random series of Diamondbacks versus the Nationals? I, I don't think the average fan's experience is really going to change um, if it's an interleague series or uh, a totally innocuous National League series as the 15th highlight while watching SportsCenter the next morning. Um, I, I, I do think that uh, you know, evening out the two leagues uh, and thus evening out all six divisions would be a positive step for baseball. Uh, but keep the divisions intact, keep the uh, unbalanced schedule intact. It really does foster both the, the capital R rivalries of, say, Red Sox Yankees, but also the lowercase rivalries that are just, you know, that ebb and flow, much like the Red Sox and Rays has had recently um, because of their having outstanding teams. They've had a few, you know, on field brawl incidents, uh, and that kind of engenders interest in the, the casual fan. Um, the, and, and, and thus playing 18 times a year can really build on that. And, and so I think that the simplest. Realignment tack is certainly the Houston. best. Yeah, just slide Houston over to the uh, AL West. Is that what you would suggest? Yeah, and that seems to be the the most obvious. Uh, I'd be open to other uh, other situations, but that would by far be the easiest. You mentioned, you know, what I thought I was just thinking while you were saying that how there would have to be one interleague series at all times. But you know, if they if they struck the the schedule correctly, they could actually feature one interleague series at all times, you know, and they could use some of the more intriguing, instead of having all the geographic natural rivalries playing on the same weekend, they could spread that out a little bit, and it might be more, you know, it might, might be easier to focus on each one. It might bring a little bit of juice back to interleague play. Yeah, absolutely, and that was a, a, a point I wrote is that, you know, Baltimore-Washington, you know, the Beltway series ought to be a really intense rivalry that you know has interest. And particularly, both teams have good young cores. I and mean, you look at three years from now, if Zach Britton and Steven Strasburg could be Cy Young candidates. And if the the Beltway series is going on at the same time the Subway series is going on, you know the major networks are still going to show New York versus New York right. instead of Baltimore, DC. And so spacing it out, you know, will give some of these other rivalries uh, in interleague play a, a chance to breathe. Yeah, I think that would be. I I would sign up for that. I think it's a. A fantastic idea. Uh, the sportscaster's here with uh, 
Joe Lemire, he writes for sportsillustrated.com. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at SI underscore Lemire. That's correct, right? Uh, that's why that Joe Lemire. Joe Lemire. I'm sorry about that. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter. Just a couple more questions before we let you go. It really is sort of starting to kind of look like Boston and Philadelphia are going to be the big dogs in each division or each league. Do you think that there's a team or teams in either league that can seriously challenge these two? Or are we really headed to a, barring a fluke injury or playoff series, are we really headed to do this Philadelphia-Boston clash in the World Series? Well, I think Boston and Philly are the, the hands-on favorites that have the best record and home field advantage in the playoffs, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a, a birth in the World Series. Uh, and you look at what San Francisco did last year, and they're set up very much the same way this year. They have a great pitching staff. Uh, if their offense gets hot at the right time, they have enough offense. And you, you look at their pitching staff versus Phillies uh, against the, uh, versus the Phillies, and though the, the though Philadelphia has those four aces um, who might you know, on paper are a little bit better than the best four starters for the Giants, the Giants have a better bullpen. And, and you know, in a playoff game that's low-scoring enough, uh, and if, the you know, Cody Ross hits a, the, another home run at the right time, there's no reason to think the Giants won't be able to upset the Phillies just like they did last year. Um, you know, you look at the, the Brewers, uh, you know, they have a, a very exaggerated home and road split there. Um, more so than any team, they're much better at home. And if they're able to win the division and get a home series or two, uh, you know, with Granke and Markham and Gallardo, they've got three you know, good aces uh, at the top of their rotation. They're, they could uh, do some real damage. I think Cincinnati, um, if they start, you know, plugging people the way that they're capable of, you know, they're not out of the question. I think um, there are some uh, there are some teams out there that could make an impact in the playoffs once they get there. Um, you know, the, the Yankees. Tigers and Rangers are, are in similar situations in the American League. So I think we're looking at Boston and Philly uh, sort of claiming the regular season, but not. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't give away World Series titles just yet. What do you think 3,000 hits means for Derek Jeter, for the Yankees, and for baseball? Uh, I think it's sort of a, a, nice, a nice positive publicity uh, that, um, you know, for Major League Baseball, it'll it'll be a, a nice break when we, he comes back from the table list, and there's sort of probably going to be about a, a week of games before he finally gets it. Yeah, I think he he sticks Six, away. Yeah. Um, that, that's so much better than reporting about the Dodgers and Mets ownership situation. So yeah. I think Major League Baseball is going to sort of cherish that because he's also the franchise player who stayed with one team his whole career, has you know never really had anything uh, um, uh, to, for people to criticize. Um, and I think for the Yankees, they're obviously going to celebrate one of their own, and the fact uh, that he's the the first player to, or will be the first player to do so while wearing pinstripes, is a very big deal for the franchise. And for Jeter personally, I think uh, he'll take some satisfaction in that this has been a difficult year. The off season um, and the contract negotiations didn't go the way he he had, would have liked. Obviously, this year he hasn't, hasn't been hitting as well. Um, as he's used to, in terms of his injuries, has uh, you know thrown another wrench in his in his 2011 season. So I think it's going to be a, a nice honor for him, uh, and the attention will be well-deserved. Last question. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel for Pirates fans? Yeah, I, I, I do think that the Pirates are moving in the right direction. They were above 500 last week, for the, uh, which is the latest they had right. been so in, since 1999, 92. I think. Yeah. And, uh, and, and what I'd like to point to, though, is in the last three years of so the 08, 09, 2010 drafts, they spent more money on signing amateur players than 
any of the other 29 teams in baseball, including Boston and New York. Uh, and, you know, yes, they had this 18-year losing, the streak of losing seasons, uh, but you can't say they were truly rebuilding for all of that. I think before Neil Huntington and Frank Coonley took over the, the operations of this team, um, in the past they were too content on maybe adding a few pieces and hoping for an 80 or 85 win season that really just never ended up coming. They weren't really building a full core that started with scouting and development and, uh, and bringing uh, several players up rather than just trying to fill uh, a few holes. And so I think the Pirates are on the right track. It'll still take, you know, maybe until 2013 until they uh, muster a, a serious run at the playoffs. Uh, and uh, maybe even if it's 2014, uh, but I do, uh, I do tell people from Pittsburgh to, to, to sit tight, be patient, enjoy watching young players, you know, find their way. Uh, and there is, in fact, a light at the end of the tunnel. And at least they have PNC Park. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it is one of the most beautiful places in all of America. I mean, to sit. <laughs> it really is. I mean, to sit behind the catcher on a sunny Sunday in Pittsburgh and look out into the city skyline like that and the. The big wall and right field, it's just its an amazing place, so I, I wish the best for them. But it's Joe Lemire from SportsIllustrated.com. Very, very, very kind of you to, to join us today. Again, you can follow him at SI underscore Joe Lemire. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. All right, the sportscaster's back. We don't have a ton of time for this today, but, Don, I did finish while you were gone. Those guys have all the fun. Uh, Inside the World of ESPN by James Andrew Miller and Tom Shells. James Andrew Miller, I believe, was on episode 22. We had a really nice conversation with him about the book, which is about 800 pages long. Yeah. And uh, it took me a couple weeks to read, but I just wanted to real quickly just kind of talk about the book a little bit. And I want to tell you this. It really reads long. It feels like, if, and we talked a little bit with Neil Best about this last week while you were gone. It, it feels like it could be 200 pages less. Now, James Andrew Miller, the author, has said that uh, many people have said it should be shorter, but yet everyone has a different favorite part. And I can understand that because it really is a ton of different books within the one book. It's an oral history. It's, it's listed chronologically. And... Each part is about a different piece of ESPN history. So really, you could take license with the book and read it any way you wanted. If you were really interested in reading first about the incident with Rush Limbaugh, for example, you can find Rush Limbaugh in the index, and you can go to that section in ESPN history and read about the Rush Limbaugh incident. And then you could come back in a couple days, and you could read another part if you wanted. If you wanted to read about... uh, the soccer coverage at the last World Cup, or if you wanted to read about the early part of ESPN and how it became an idea and turned into a network and turned into uh, the first significant thing was co- you know getting cable vision to pay ten cents per subscriber. Now ESPN gets paid about four dollars per su- subscriber. Wow! So if you wonder why your cable bill is so expensive, <laughs> they're a big they're a big reason why. Uh, but it's it's a it's a business book in the beginning. The first 200 pages, there's no other way to put it. It's a business book. It's about business. It's about how ESPN became an idea and then became a business. And then it gets into reporting on all the different things. Some salacious stuff. 
you know, some stuff about affairs and sexual harassment. Aaron Andrews. Yep, there's uh, a part about Aaron Andrews and about uh, the nightmare that she went through. Um, there's parts about affairs. There's there's the part about uh, uh, the former Mets GM, Steve Phillips, being fired for a relationship with an intern. But the way I would recommend that you approach this book, maybe not the way I read it, going from page zero to page 775, a better way maybe is to read really what you are interested in reading it for. You know, and you can, you know, it might be perfect is the Kindle edition. You can get the Kindle edition for $12.99 and that lend itself to jumping around really well. You know, and you might be able to keep track of what you read and what you haven't read. But I do recommend the book. It was really a great book. And you can tell that the guy put his whole heart and his whole soul into making it what it is. So I certainly recommend it. It is a little bit long, yeah. but if you have the patience and you can get through it, I do recommend it. And before this podcast is as long as this book, I'm going to stop now, uh, but I do, <laughs> I do recommend it. We'll be right back with Tim Graham. Our next guest was a student at Kent State University for one semester before graduating from Baldwin Wallace College in Berea, Ohio. He spent eight years working for the Buffalo News where he covered hockey and boxing while serving two terms as the president of the Boxing Writers Association of America. He then moved on to cover the Miami Dolphins for the Palm Beach Post in and then in 2008, he left sunny Florida to join ESPN.com where he blogs about the AFC East a warm sportscasters, welcome to Tim Graham. How are you doing today, Tim? I'm doing great. You know, it's uh, I've never been brought into a show with uh, any alma mater, much less <laughs> Kent State. So, like you say, I went there for a semester, and you could have played uh, the Northern Iowa fight song, uh, and I wouldn't have known any different. So, <laughs> well, it was, it was a nice touch. Yeah, it's our tradition. We like to bring all our guests into the fight song of their colleges, and we got in trouble the one time. Because the one guy said to me, you know, I didn't really graduate college. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what we played. Uh, there are a few of us out there. Yeah, we played some rebel music for him or something like that. But, um, you know, we're a couple of Buffalo boys, and I kind of grew up reading you uh, for the Buffalo News. And um, why don't we just start there, talk a little bit about your time in Buffalo and uh, kind of a controversial move there to, to bail on us for the rival like that. I mean, not only are the Dolphins a rival to the Bills, but... I mean, to go to Miami, leave the cold in the, in the winter for a beautiful sunny Miami, what were you thinking? Well, I've, done, uh, I've made a few moves. I actually live back in uh, western New York again. I'm in Getzville, so I've left South Florida to come back uh, to the Buffalo area. It's where I met my wife, and uh, it's where we want to raise our family. So, so you're actually uh, calling me so from Getzville right now? Yeah, no, well, I'm driving uh, actually from downtown Buffalo. I'm on, uh, I'm on the 190, uh, riding right alongside the Niagara River. It's off to my left. I'm Do you want to just exactly where I am. You just want to come to the studio? You're like five, <laughs> mi you're like five minutes away if you want to stop by. <laughs> just get yeah, off on. I probably could have done that if we would have been able to make those arrangements. I could have just swung over, sure. All right, so next time we have you on, you'll come into the <laughs> studio. And we'll you do got it. it. Okay, sounds good. So you're back. That's good. You're back in Buffalo. And like I said, I grew up reading you in the Buffalo News. Um, so why don't we start with the Bills? Because part of your job is to cover the AFC East or ESPN. And believe it or not, part of the AFC East are the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> um, usually they're real easy to find right near the bottom of it. 
Uh, what did you think of the draft and specifically the uh, top two pick there? Uh, do you think they did the right thing, or do you think they should have taken more of a risk? Well, keep in mind that Buffalo is first alphabetically, so a lot of times you do see them uh, at the beginning when you're doing lists. You know, like maybe you're buying the Sporting News uh, football preview edition. Right, right. go alphabetical by division. Bill Whenever Ball they're ahead of the, the Dolphins, Patriots, and then the Jets always in last. But R- right. When... Uh, I like what the Bills did with the draft. I think that Marcel Darius is uh, a complete football player. Uh, he's about as close to a sure thing as you can get. Uh, he's uh, going to make an impact uh, on the team in, in both uh, run defense and pass defense because he does have pass rushing skills. Uh, he's a big man. He's going to take up uh, many times. Uh, he'll he'll take up multiple blockers uh, in the run game. So you know, I think that it was a no-brainer. And once the Denver Broncos took Von Miller at number two, uh, the, the Bills really didn't even have a decision to make. But I think it would have been interesting to see what their uh, play would have been uh, had uh, the Denver Broncos taken Marcel Darius. And then you have Von Miller there. Um, obviously would have been tempting for the Bills too, but I don't think it was as much of an open and shut case with Von Miller uh, as it was for Marcel Darius. So I think the Bills may have, in that scenario, uh, gone with a Blaine Gabbert. Uh, or uh, you know, done something a little differently there. But uh, Darius was just such a slam dunk that they couldn't pass him up. Does this mean they're done with the uh, 3-4 debacle? No. I think that uh, and I have to go totally on uh, what I've been told the multiple times by both uh, Buddy Nix and Chan Gailey uh, that they will go uh, with a 3-4 set. I think they'll run a lot of multiple fronts and uh, the – addition of Dave Wanstead to the defensive uh, coaching staff uh, obviously reinforces the notion that uh, there will be a lot of 4-3 looks in this Bills uh, defense because Dave Wanstead has not coached anything uh, but uh, a 4-3 defense wherever he's been. But uh, they still say that they're going to lean towards the 3-4, even in scouting heading into the draft. Uh, they said that uh, they would evaluate players uh, with, uh, you know, if all things were equal, uh, they would judge guys who were based, uh, who were uh, strong in a 3-4 defense versus a 4-3. So I think they want to be multiple, uh, but I think that in general, if you had to pick what they are, if you had to classify them, uh, you know, they would say a hybrid. But if you you would uh, you would have to say that they're going to be a 3-4, and that's actually not a bad spot for them to be in. In, in which kind of you know, it sounds funny what's about to come out of my mouth because I do know that they were dead last uh, in uh, pass run uh, or in um, run defense in run defense last year, and only three teams uh, had fewer sacks than the Bills did. So uh, they were pretty pitiful in, in both categories. But they do have enough flexibility with their defensive line that they can move guys all over the place. And the guy who really affords them that opportunity to be so flexible is Kyle Williams, right. because uh, he obviously played nose tackle last year. Uh, he does play uh, f- uh, 4-3 defensive tackle. You can probably move him a- and uh, use him as a, a 3-4 defensive end. Uh, you have uh, Terrell Troop as a nose tackle that the Bills are high on. Um, so uh, I think that, uh, you know, Dewan Landry is another guy who, or excuse me, Dewan Edwards is another guy that uh, who they really like. So you add Marcel Darius to that group, and then I think you have uh, a nice uh, variety of players that you can uh, move around and, and do some different things with. 
the the line itself isn't that bad, but do they do they have enough on the line, enough talent there to hide the fact that the linebackers aren't to say they're not, they're not very good would probably be an understatement. Yeah, you know, Paul Pizlesny is, uh, you know, he, he's a tackling machine. Uh, he's, uh, you know, there have been a lot of stats that have come out recently uh, from both football outsiders, pro football focus, about uh, guys who make tackles. Um, and Paul Pizlesny is always at the top of those lists. He's a uh, pretty sure, uh, surefire tackler. Running backs uh, don't really have a the ability to get away from him, but the problem is, is that the running backs are getting to him to begin with. Right. Because once you get to Paul Post-Dusney, that's a four-yard gain already. Uh, but really, I think where the Bills have uh, have to uh, get better is not necessarily with guys like Paul Post-Dusney, but with the depth. They've always had decent players, but if there's ever an injury, the drop-off from the first stringer to the second stringer is always so significant uh, you're getting towards players who probably wouldn't even belong on other teams uh, or who wouldn't even be in the NFL if not for being a backup uh, on the Buffalo Bills roster. Right. That's just kind of the way the Bills have done business over the years. They will pay uh, for starters, uh, but they skimp on the, uh, you know, on the backups, on the depth guys. And so you have depth at inside linebacker and then uh, overall play, both starting uh, and uh, in-depth when it comes to outside linebacker, and they're gambling on Sean Merriman. Uh, they still have a lot of money invested in Chris Kelsey with the contract extension that they gave him last year. They have a lot of money tied up in Aaron Maven. And I, was I think ask that that's him. one of the reasons why the Bills would have had a very hard decision to make if Von Miller was the guy who was uh, the best available player on the board with the third overall pick because they have so much money tied up in outside linebackers as it is uh, that to uh, you know give a give a third overall contract to yet another outside linebacker when they have so many needs elsewhere um, would have been uh, pretty risky. So they they do have a lot of concerns all over the place on defense, but in general, I think that they have uh, they have talent uh, here and there. Do you think that they've closed the idea of getting anything out of Aaron? Do you think they can get anything out of Aaron Maben? Is maybe a better question? Is that going to be just a bust? I, I would not expect anything out of Aaron Maven. Uh, anything now at this point is going to be a surprise. And, you know, that's not to say that he can't do something, but, you know, it just reminds me so much of the situation the, the New York Jets just went through with uh, Vernon Golston. Mm-hmm. The problem, though, is that Aaron Maven can't play defensive end. You know, Vernon Golston at least had the opportunity to check out what he could do as a 3-4 defensive end, and Rex Ryan moved him down there. But Aaron Maven just doesn't have the body type. He is either a 4-3 defensive end or an outside linebacker in a 3-4, and that's just that's about it. I mean, he's just he's so slender. Uh, he's uh, you know he looks a lot more like a tight end than he does a defensive player. But Vernon Golston, as much of a bust as he was, and he didn't have the pass rushing skills that really um, Eric Mangini thought he would have when they drafted him sixth overall in 2008. Uh, he at least had the body frame that you could try him somewhere else. I don't think Aaron Maven you can. He's pretty much um, he's going to be an outside. Can't make it work for there. Uh, then I really don't see uh, see really any any kind of way that he can help that he can help. Out. So a lot of people thought the Bills had a pretty decent draft. The Patriots decided again not to seemingly pick anybody, but just keep making trades. Uh, nobody really liked the Dolphins draft. What did the Dolphins do wrong in the draft? Well, I think that uh, I, I really do like the Dolphins draft. Uh, 
but the problem hmm. that they have is that they didn't have a lot of uh, opportunity to enter their team in the draft because of the way they kind of handcuffed themselves. Uh, the Brandon Marshall trade, uh, they gave up their second-round pick. So they were really looking at uh, a guy in the trench, Mike Pouncey, who they drafted 15th overall out of Florida, and I thought that was an excellent pick, and, and that was the pick that I had uh, you know, suggested whenever I had to do a mock draft and uh, guess who the Dolphins were going to pick at 15. That's the guy that I figured they'd go after. Uh, but the problem is, I think, with perception, uh, when you look at the Miami Dolphins draft, is that it's just not sexy. You know, it's a center. It's a guy, even though his brother come, you know, has the pedigree there and, and uh, went to the Super Bowl as a rookie with the Pittsburgh Steelers last season, still Mike Pouncey, the position just doesn't lend itself to getting the fans or analysts too excited. Uh, a lot of people were looking at um, perhaps Mark Ingram going there because of the uncertainty in the Dolphins' backfield. Ricky Williams and Ronnie Brown both being free agents. Um, and Corey Sheets coming off of an Achilles uh, injury, and Powell and Patrick Cobbs also is a free agent. So people were guessing that they'd go with Mark Ingram. Dolphins fans, I think, became enamored with the idea of Ryan Mallett at number 15 because he was such a... Um, yeah, I think a lot of Dolphins fans were able to justify, hey, we made it work with the guy who came out of college with problems before, as a late round or a later round first, uh, later first round pick in Dan Marino. I mean, right. I know that. Right. I mean, let's let's you know pull it back a couple of notches and, and let not compare Ryan Mallett to <laughs> Dan Marino. But that's what Dolphins fans were doing. They just were enamored with the idea of a quarterback, a guy who can sling the ball all over the field, make all the throws like Ryan Mallett does, immobile, much like Dan Marino was. You know, not a fast guy, just a great arm. So I think that they got to a place in their minds where they would have been thrilled with Ryan Mallett at 15 overall, and they get Mike Pouncey. Then they trade up into the second round, and now, okay, here, finally they're going to get Ryan Mallett because Mallett was just on the board, and they end up drafting a running back instead who, you know, a lot of people just think that nowadays that running backs are a dime a dozen, and, you know, why trade up to get one in the second round? So I think it was just a lot of perception of uh, kind of a defeatist attitude from the Dolphins fans that they were excited about the possibilities of getting a running back in the first round or Ryan Mallett or maybe even a receiver, a speed receiver who can stretch the field, and they end up with a center, center. and a running back that they, they didn't give much thought to. Is this, uh, is this Chad Honey's make-or-break year down there? Yeah, I believe so, and, and that's if he gets that opportunity. It looks like he's going to. Uh, that uh, the Dolphins are going to be stuck with him, and a lot of that lends itself to the lockout because Chad Henney, the longer you go uh, into this lockout, the less opportunity the Dolphins are going to have to scramble and get a guy uh, to come in and actually compete with Henny for that starting job. So they already passed on quarterbacks in the draft, and now you have guys who are locked up with other teams, the Kyle Ortons, um, the Kevin Cobbs, uh, the Vince Youngs, who are all on hold waiting for this lockout to end. So, you know, can a guy come in and learn uh, Brian Dable's uh, new offense and be uh, and build as much chemistry as, uh, as Chad Henney already has done? Probably not. But, uh, you know, a guy like Kyle Orton actually probably could, uh, wouldn't be a bad uh, option there. He already does. Um, you know, he already is familiar with Brandon Marshall from their days in Denver, so that's a possibility. But I think just the, it's becoming evident that the Dolphins are, are pretty much 
um, gotten to the point where they know Chad Henney's going to be their quarterback and uh, they're going to have to try to make it work. And I'm not too confident that, uh, that that's going to happen. You mentioned that both of their running backs are unrestricted free agents and also that they drafted running back. Do you think that they'll be in the D'Angelo Williams sweepstakes at all when free agency does begin, or do you think they'll just try to re-sign one of their guys, or where do you think they go in that position? Well, I think that makes a lot of sense for them. I know that D'Angelo Williams does want to play uh, for the Dolphins. You know, He likes the idea of uh, South Florida, as a lot of players do. I mean, many of them have homes there. They like it down there to begin with. They call it home in some way, shape, or form, whether they went to college down there or from the, you know, so many players are from South Florida to begin with, the Palm Beach area, the Fort Lauderdale area, the Miami Dade area, um, and then there's also the then the faction of the guys who went and played for the Hurricanes, played for the Gators, played for Florida State. I mean, there's a such a large segment of the NFL community it just gravitates towards South Florida to begin with. So. Um, that's uh, that's definitely a guy that uh, that would love to play for the Dolphins, and I think the Dolphins will be uh, interested in in checking out. Uh, but you have to assume that when the lockout does end, there will be at least a brief period of time where teams are going to be allowed to negotiate with their own free agents, like there always has been. Right. You know that period where you can, uh, you know, where even a, a free an unrestricted free agent doesn't quite hit the market yet but is free to sign with his own team. And uh, that's when we're going to find out really what the Dolphins' plans are at running back and whether or not they bring, uh, uh, they bring uh, Ronnie Brown or Ricky Williams uh, back onto the team. Uh, but they already have the guy, Daniel Thomas, that they drafted. Uh, they have Lex Hilliard on their roster. Uh, Corey Sheets is coming back from that Achilles injury. He's a speed burner, so you do have to be skeptical about that type of injury and that type of player. But uh, from all accounts, uh, he is uh, rehabbing quite well. Um, but they do need to add that uh, that other back, you know, to complement uh, Daniel Thomas. And you know, you're hearing uh, even uh, John Clayton writing a piece yesterday for ESPN.com of maybe looking at Tiki Barber um, for the types of skills that he'll probably still have at 36. That being uh, the ability to uh, be a third down uh, role player uh, because of his hands and because of his ability to uh, pick up uh, blitz protection. Yeah, you mentioned Barber, and I was just going to ask you if you thought that Plexico Burris or Tiki Barber might end up in the AFC East. I know the Jets have been mentioned as a potential landing spot for Burris, and like you said, the Dolphins is a potential spot for uh, Tiki Barber. Yeah, I do think that there's interest uh, both ways with the Jets and Plexico Burris. Burris has not been uh, too bashful uh, in mentioning that about the Jets. Uh, you know, he has spent a considerable time uh, you know, play, playing in that uh, New Jersey area. He has a Super Bowl ring with the New York Giants. He knows uh, the area. He knows the fans. Some people, though, are of the theory that uh, one of the best things uh, Black School Burris can do would be to get out of New York because of you know, the problem that he had there. Maybe it's just time to uh, settle things down, settle down in terms of his lifestyle and, and uh, you know, the way he, he carries himself and you know, going to another market. Um, you know, might be the the way to go for him. Uh, but I think that there is a connection to be made there with the Jets. Uh, they they do want to bring back Santonio Holmes. I think much more than they want to bring back Braylon Edwards. Uh, and if they're unable to compete with other teams uh, to uh, get Braylon Edwards to come back to the Jets, 
if you know if he leaves via free agency, then I think Plaxico Burris is the type of guy that they would look at uh, to make sure that Mark Sanchez has uh, that big support staff, that uh, that nice safety net that a young erratic quarterback uh, always seems to benefit from uh, by adding Plaxico Burris or maybe even a guy like Randy Moss uh, to the roster to go along with Santonio Holmes and Jericho Cotchery and, and Dustin Keller. We've talked about the Bills. We've talked about the Jets. We've talked about the Dolphins. It seems like the Patriots have been really quiet during the lockout. They made a lot of trades at the draft again. Kind of seems like they always like to just kind of go back and back and back. I'm still waiting for them to kind of make a big splash at the draft one of these years. Do you think the team that ultimately ends up on the field for the Patriots this year is going to be awfully similar to the one that uh, came up short last year, or do you think there's some changes to be made in New England? I still think there are going to be some changes. Um, I don't know how significant they're going to be, but they still do have a need at pass when it comes to their pass rush and whether or not they're going to get that out of a second-year player like Jermaine Cunningham uh, I think you know Tully Banta Kane is a guy who's given them some pretty decent production when it comes to sacks, but but only in a relative sense. I mean he's he's been the leading sack guy on the Patriots roster for the last couple of years, but uh, you know compared to what other teams get out of that position, you know the Patriots can obviously improve there. Um, they really didn't go after that kind of player in the draft, so uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of free agency when it comes to. Um, you know, how they address outside linebacker. Um, but I think by and large, you know, that team doesn't really, doesn't need to be tinkered with too much. Uh, the offensive line obviously is in a state of flux. Stephen Neal, who's been a highly reliable and, and very remarkable right guard uh, for them for many, many years, has retired. Uh, Matt Light, their Pro Bowl left tackle, is a free agent. Do they want to bring him back? Uh, and then Logan Mankin's situation. Here he is, a pro bowler, playing only half a season. And I, he was an all-pro. You know, he wasn't just a pro bowler. He was an all-pro playing half a season at left guard. But he's unhappy. You know, he's been franchised and, you know, his uh, all the stuff going on with his contract behind the scenes and his holdout last year. So you have an offensive line there with uh, some question marks. And, you know, Dante Scarnecchi, their offensive line coach, is, is masterful at, at getting that group to playing well together. But, um, you know, if you have if Matt Light leaves, and uh, all of a sudden you're you know you're dealing with uh, Sebastian Bulmer, who's a talented young right tackle, second team All Pro. Do you have to flip him over to the left side? Uh, your first round draft pick Nate Solder, he then gets pressed into service almost immediately. Um, you know, Dan Coppin at center isn't exactly uh, a youngster anymore. So, you know, I think that that is probably the biggest question mark for them along with uh, running back. But then again, when you have a guy like Tom Brady running your huddle, he seems to have a tendency to uh, make, an off, uh, make an awful lot of blemishes disappear. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, they're always going to be in good shape as long as Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are, are both uh, in charge there in, in New England. The sportscasters are here with Tim Graham. He's from, formerly from the Buffalo News. I grew up with him. He's now at ESPN.com, where he is part of the NFL Blog Network, blogging for the AFC East. You can also find him on Twitter. He is at AFC or at ESPN underscore AFC East. I want to switch, switch gears a little bit and talk about what you're doing right now, and that's blogging. How have you enjoyed it compared to being uh, a columnist? How has, uh, how has the blog format changed you as a writer, or are you the same writer, just in a different format? 
Um, you, you know, that's what I mean. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's a lot different. And, uh, you know, you have to uh, write a lot more, uh, a lot more topics, uh, maybe with fewer words. Uh, so the work is always there. Um, you're writing maybe shorter stories, but you know many more of them. In the newspaper days, when I was covering the Buffalo Sabres, uh, or when I was uh, with the Palm Beach Post covering the Miami Dolphins, uh, you wrote maybe two stories a day, uh, and then maybe blogged a couple of things if you had anything left over. But the print edition got all your attention. Uh, now, uh, with at ESPN uh, doing the AFC East blog, you're writing sometimes upwards of 10 or 12 things a day. Uh, and anything that's even remotely interesting, you're going, you can go ahead and you can put it up online. Uh, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, how much space there is in the paper, whether or not you're competing with a Marlins game or, you know, the heat sign LeBron James. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. You have, you know, you, you're not competing with other stories of the day uh, within that newspaper. You have your own specific area and you have as much space as you want uh, to put whatever you want uh, up on the blog, uh, just as long as you keep it interesting. You know, I never want to waste my reader's time by just throwing up total, you know, uh, trivia or uh, a diversion that uh, really isn't worthwhile. So uh, I always want to give them something that they can think about, something that they can argue about. Uh, but, you know, you're asking me about uh, the difference between print and, and online, and the reason I was driving back uh, from downtown Buffalo um, you know, when I called into the show, is that I've actually just recently returned to the Buffalo News. Oh. So, um, a lot of people don't know that. I haven't had a story yet in the Buffalo News, but uh, I'm writing for the Buffalo News uh, again, and my contract with ESPN is up at the end of July, and, uh, and when that is over, I'm going to be uh, working uh, for the Buffalo News uh, uh, exclusively again. So, I'm actually looking forward to that part of it. Uh, getting back to newspapers, it's... Uh, it feels like home. It feels like family, and uh, so I, I'm looking forward to the uh, the chance to get back there and 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 do some some of those long form stories that you don't get to see on the AFC East blog on ESPN.com. Are you going to be a general columnist? No, I'm going to be uh, an enterprise and investigative reporter for News Side. Uh, I'm not going to be in sports, although I will write sports stories uh, on occasion. I don't think I'm going to be able to get away from them after. <laughs> doing it for 20 years. Uh, so I think eventually, you know, you'll see me writing on uh, on the NHL, uh, college sports, you know, something. But it's going to be investigative stuff, the kind of story where uh, you may uh, work on it for a week, maybe two weeks uh, before it sees the light of day. A lot of research-intensive uh, stories, magazine length, uh, you know, the types of stories that uh, when you open up your Sunday paper, you might grab a a cup of coffee and uh, and spread it out over your kitchen table and, and it might take you you know twenty minutes to to get through and read it but uh, the whole point of it is to give somebody you know something to really think about and to digest uh, a meaningful story uh, that uh, uh, and let's face it you know blogging you don't really get the opportunity to do that too much uh, I had a chance to write a few very meaningful stories you know deep you know taking a look at some deep issues or personality pieces like Kevin Turner, uh, the former Patriots fullback who has Lou Gehrig's disease and and research that shows uh, uh, that football may have caused that. You know, that was one of the hmm. longer-form stories I was able to do. But 
with uh, with the grind that is the blog and, and writing about uh, any little bit of news that pops up here or there. You don't really have the time to do those pieces. So um, what uh, what I always missed, which may sound funny, you know, I wrote, you know, like I said earlier, I sometimes wrote 10 or 12 things a day for the blog, but I didn't really feel like I was writing. Right. And uh, so there's um, getting back to the Buffalo News allows me to actually write and be a, and be a writer again. There's no hesitation to get back into the newspaper business. Do you feel like there's enough uh, opportunity with the uh, emergence of newspapers on the iPad and different things that newspapers are going to be a part of uh, American culture for the foreseeable future? Oh, yeah. I don't think that, uh, you know, I think that people, uh, and, I'm, and I'm guilty of this too, and I've just recently kind of divorced myself from this way of thinking, is that uh, print is synonymous with newspapers, and I think we probably need to stop thinking of it that way. You know, it used to be that, uh, you know, that's the way it was. You know, the newspaper was the thing you held in your hand, and the Internet and uh, the blogs and all these various other ways to get your information was online. But I think that no matter how you get your information, newspapers are always going to be around. And when I say newspapers, I'm using finger quotes. Uh, you know, that business of producing news, because, you know, let's face it, the who else is going to cover the federal courthouse in Buffalo? Who else is going to cover uh, the Buffalo Bills like the Buffalo News is? Um, you know, I. Who else is going to cover the Buffalo Sabers or the local colleges or City Hall? Uh, you know, that always falls on the newspaper, and without them, you know, a, a big chunk of your community goes away. So there's always going to be a market for that type of information, and uh, it's just going to be a matter of how you receive that information, whether it be on your uh, on your iPhone, uh, on your laptop, or you still get the bundled up paper with the rubber band wrapped uh, around it thrown on your driveway every morning, uh, people are still going to uh, need that information. And it's up to the newspaper industry to find ways to maintain profitability, uh, whether it be online advertising or subscriptions or whatever. So um, I, I have some, I have faith, obviously. I wouldn't be making this move uh, if I, if I didn't. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a switch I'm excited about. I really missed uh, I really miss newspapers, and uh, I think. Uh, but like I said, I, I think mostly I miss the opportunity to write, and uh, you know, blogging sometimes and 100 and tweeting and 140 characters. It might, it's fun here and there, <laughs> but it really just uh, doesn't uh, doesn't do much for me over the long haul. Do you enjoy Twitter? I do. It's it's uh, I'm on it all the time. I'm not always tweeting on it, but I'm always uh, reading them. Uh, I go through, uh, you know, I go, I'm like a binge tweeter. You know, I, I'll, I'll tweet, I might tweet 12 things one day and then not tweet anything again for two weeks. But, uh, yeah, I enjoy it a lot. And uh, I think probably uh, the close, uh, the, the more I gravita gravitate back towards the Buffalo News, I mean, who knows, uh, maybe I get my own blog uh, at the Buffalo News to write about uh, things like the Buffalo Buffalo Sabres and the Buffalo Bills. Um, you know, I'm sure you're going to see me uh, tweeting uh, a lot more. Where, so, where will you tweet? This is probably what that one's going to ask. Yeah, where I saw you, you had another account out there. By Tim Graham, yeah. is that where we'll find you? Yeah, at by B-Y Tim Graham. Right. And I need to specify B-Y because uh, the other spelling might uh, lead people to jump to conclusions. But no, it's <laughs> at B-Y Tim Graham. And uh, so feel free to check me out there. All right, it's the Sportscasters with Tim Graham. I guess it's one month left. You can find him in the, e the NFL Nation for the ESPN 
NFL or AFC East blog. You can find them for another month at AFC at ESPN underscore AFC East. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. You oh. guys are great. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, welcome back. Yep. Welcome home. Good to be back. <laughs> yep. All right, thanks, buddy. Take care. Our next guest is from Hot Springs, Arkansas, and is a graduate of Vanderbilt University. After college, he spent five years in Colorado covering NCAA hockey, the Denver sports scene, and the Air Force Academy for the Colorado Springs Gazette. He has also covered Memphis basketball for the Commercial Appeal. Today, he is a national sports columnist for the made-for-iPad newspaper, The Daily. His work has been honored with awards from the Associated Associated Press Sports Editors and the Colorado Press Association. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Dan Wolken. How are you doing today, Dan? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. So the first thing I want to say to you is we're really good friends with one of your old editors, Lee Jenkins. Do you have any yeah, good... Yeah, Lee, uh, Lee, Lee and I are uh, good friends, and uh, he actually recruited me, you could say, to Vanderbilt, uh, I went on my visit there, and and I, I stayed in his apartment overnight, and uh, uh, he he pretty much closed the deal on uh, me going to Vanderbilt. Huh. So you were a journalist recruit? Well, so to speak, there's a sports writing scholarship uh, that uh, Vanderbilt awards one a year, and and I was fortunate enough to win it uh, when I was a uh, senior in high school, and... Uh, I had not yet seen the the school or, or been to the campus, and so in uh, in March of my senior year of, of college, I uh, took a trip out to uh, Vanderbilt, and uh, Lee was was also a winner of that scholarship. So he uh, so he kind of uh, was in, you know talking to me and showing me the, the the school paper and 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 all of that stuff. So I ended up staying overnight with him in his dorm room, and uh, and we've been good friends ever since. That's such a great story because, you know, like since we started this podcast here in around January, we've had Leon a few times, three times I think now, and he's just, he's one of the nicest guys. I could see why you would uh, spend a night with him and want to go to college with him. He's just really been really good to us. And uh, I emailed him today and told him that you were going to be on, and he said to, uh, to tease you about he, how he was your editor, and uh, he's the boss. Yeah, so. he was he was my editor for a couple of years and uh, taught me a lot and and really, uh, in all seriousness, I do owe a lot to him because uh, of his his mentorship and 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 his friendship over the years uh, uh, has certainly uh, given me opportunities in my career and and uh, and and you know I, in fact really he's responsible for getting my first job in Colorado Springs because he had worked there before and. Uh, because of that connection, they became familiar with me, and and so I I, I kind of owe, owe my start to my career to him, uh, uh, I, you know, a hundred percent. Wow, that's that's awesome. That's a great story. So I'm a big Apple guy, and the reason I've been excited about this spot is because ever since I got the iPad, I started to hear about this project that Rupert Murdoch was doing, and it was going to be this made for the iPad newspaper called the Daily. And it finally debuted, I don't remember exactly when it debuted, but 
February, uh, the first, uh, February, first yeah. week in February. So it debuted in, in February, and um, it was it, it started free, I think, or there was a, maybe a thirty day trial or something, and now it's maybe a dollar yeah. a week, or it's really very affordable. Yeah, we had a we had a trial period at the at the very beginning, and and I think new subscribers still get I think a two week trial period, and then uh, uh, you know if you want to subscribe, it's it's uh, I think ninety nine cents a week after right. that, or or you can forty do a for year, the year is a little bit less than that, you know. Yeah, I think it's around forty dollars a year. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a very affordable news app for your for your iPad that uh, you know will deliver original content every day. How did you hear about the daily, and uh, what drew you to making this really big change in your career? In the sense that you've always been, you know, a print journalist, and now you pretty much you write for an app. Well. Uh, the sports editor of the Daily is uh, a man named Chris D'Amico, who had worked at the uh, Newark Star Ledger for a number of years. He was he was the sports editor at the Star Ledger, uh, and then he became the managing editor. And when I met him, it was I think it was probably around 2003, somewhere around in there, at a at a summer conference. And he was uh, the sports editor of the Star Ledger at that time, and. Uh, and I was at this conference and, and doing a lot of networking and, um, you know, meeting sports editors and journalists and, uh, you know, because you kind of have to have to do that a little bit to, uh, uh, you know, to give yourself a chance to move up in the business. And so, and of course, this was, you know, really, you know, pre-Twitter and, and all of that stuff. Uh, so it's now it's a little easier to, you know, be exposed in different areas of the country and, and 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 all that stuff. It, it was a little bit different back then. It was a little harder. And uh, and and I met Chris, and um, uh, we kept in touch for for a while when he was still running that sports department. And it never had really worked out where uh, they had a job opening or anything uh, at that time, or at least one that was a good fit uh, for me. So um, then he moved over to the you know to outside of the sports side of it, and and we didn't talk for a while. And then all of a sudden. Uh, last year, last fall, he he emailed me and um, you know, and said, "Hey, you know, how happy are you uh, at the commercial appeal?" And I said, "Well, I said I'm 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 happy. I'm certainly happy at the commercial appeal, and and I really did. I loved the commercial appeal, but uh, uh, it was um, you know, I anything that he was in, that he was involved in, I was certainly going to be interested in." And uh, he said, "Well, I'm I'm working on a uh, kind of a top secret uh, digital." venture for uh, News Corp, and, and if you're interested in finding out more about it, let's talk. And so, so we talked, and uh, he told me what, what he was doing, and uh, it, it certainly was intriguing. The whole idea of it was really intriguing. And then uh, over a couple months, we, we talked more often, and, uh, and then ultimately he offered me uh, the job as the, as the columnist, and uh, I thought it was a really good fit and a really good opportunity, and, uh, uh, and I took it, and... Uh, you know, it's 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 been a really neat experience, and it's been something that, uh, uh, you know, I couldn't have imagined a few years ago. You know, writing for for an iPad app. I mean, you wouldn't have even known what that was, but uh, but it's turned out to be a really great thing. How how have you enjoyed it? I mean, how is it, it now? You're. I mean, I think the biggest difference probably for you is now you're a general sports columnist, and you can really write about anything. Where when you were in Colorado, maybe you're focusing on 
Denver sports scene, and then you're focusing on Memphis, right. and, and now it's really opened up the whole sports world to you. Has that been the biggest certainly difference? When, certainly. When, when, you're, uh, when you're writing for, for a national audience, uh, you, you kind of have to, and it's, it's an adjustment process to figure out you know, what you should be writing, what you should be talking about uh, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and, and I don't know that there's any sort of right answer or wrong answer. You, you're just trying to find interesting stories, but, but sometimes it's, it's, it's easier when, when you kind of have the whole world uh, at your disposal to, to write about it. And, and sometimes, frankly, it's a little bit harder because you, you don't have that focus on, on, on one or two things, and you've got to kind of uh, figure out, you know, what, what your niche is or, or, you know, what you can do well because it's, it's hard to, you know, I, I certainly can't, can't say that I, I know everything, you know, that I know all of the inner machinations of, of the NBA or the NFL or, or whatever, um, you try to uh, be in tune as much as you can with what's going on, and you read a lot. I mean, that's key in this job is is reading a lot so that you kind of know where to go. Um, but if you want to if you want to write uh, you know well reported and interesting columns, um, it's it's a big challenge when 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 it's not narrowed down for you. Do they give you a word limit, or is it? kind of like as if you were writing for the internet where there isn't necessarily a space or do they try to keep you within a few pages like on the virtual pages so to speak right my um we call them swipes and and my uh uh my column is is three swipes okay um in other words there's a there's the one page and then you swipe it and you go to the second page and then you swipe it and you go to the third page and uh we can there's some little different design things you can do, but basically my columns will run anywhere between eight, 800 and 900 words uh, in, within that range um, for the most part. Uh, obviously, if, if there's a, uh, a story, you know, a feature story that merits, you know, running longer, I, get, I can get more space. Um, but uh, it's not like the Internet exactly where there's no real, you know, it's not really in pages like that. These are actually pages that have to be laid out and designed and, um, uh, and, and really, uh, kind of a three page swipe is, is, is I, I think a, a good, uh, length on columns that it seems to be both workable and, 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 you know, not too short, but not too long. I've read most of your columns for the daily, but probably not all of them. And what I'm curious about is, are you interested in expanding the columns in a, beyond words in the sense of, you know, utilizing some of the multimedia features that are built into the daily. Have you considered or have you uh, utilized any of those to try to enhance your columns, so to speak? Yeah, well, we, we were, and certainly as a new, you know, product and a new news brand, we're evolving and we're, we're looking at what works and what doesn't work as well. Um, and, and, and those are things we're definitely uh, looking at. I, I have done some video components uh, on on pages, um, I think uh, certainly you know as as time goes on, there will be you know some more video and and uh, audio you know components for for me, uh, and uh, uh, I, it'll be interesting to see how you know how that all kind of comes together. But uh, uh, you, you know the 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 star of the show is going to be you know the written word, uh, at least in terms of what I do. And, and we have a lot of other, you know, multimedia components within the sports section every day. How have you liked the comments 
and the way it's set up for those who don't have the daily, you can type a com- comment, but you can also record a comment, which is really cool. How have how have you liked being able to interact with the listeners that way and actually get to hear some of the people instead of just reading them? And maybe it 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 helps in the sense of you can. If I wanted to be sarcastic with you, that would be harder to do if I typed it than if I said it to you. Uh, or really displaying any emotions. It's a lot easier to display emotion uh, through word than through letters and type. And I just wonder how that's, well, that's been for you. Well, that's one of the neat things about, about the iPad is, is how interactive it is and, and, and how kind of personal uh, it is. And when, when you can you know, record a voice comment... Uh, for people to listen to, I think that you know it gives it gives readers. Uh, you know, I, I mean, in terms of how I feel about it, you know, it doesn't really matter because um, we're trying to create a forum for people to to comment. You know, with each other and with us, and you know how the, kind of the way I look at it is that that's their space, and I think it gives them you know a little more ownership of that space when you can record a voice comment. And uh, it's, I think it's certainly one of the interactive features uh, in the daily is, is, is the ability to do that or, or to type. I mean, typing comments, you can do that on newspaper websites as well. But, uh, but yeah, this adds a, a little extra element to it that I think gives people a little more ownership of, of the product. And I think that that's good. Can you, can you do your whole column on your iPad? Like theoretically, if you well, wanted? I could, I, I could if I had a keyboard. I mean, you know works for typing uh you know the hunt you have to kind of do the hunt and typing and that takes a while um i i i need to get actually the uh the wi-fi keyboard or bluetooth keyboard the the bluetooth keyboard right um i've been meaning to to get one of those uh and that and i could do it but uh you know and with our computer system and and entering text and entering copy um I, I, at this point, do most of it on, uh, or pretty much all of it on my laptop. Awesome. Well, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about sports. A um, couple of big things coming up, uh, including the NBA draft. Interesting, right off the top, uh, the Cavaliers have two picks, one and four. Do you think that this is a really, I know it's not the best draft, but do you think that this is a really important day for them to kind of move on from the LeBron James era and kind of reestablish an identity outside of that? Well, I think if you can get uh, a point guard who is a star, and and I don't know if Kyrie Irving will will be or won't be, you know, a, a star player. But if you get a guy at that position who is, you know, an elite player um, on the level of a Chris Paul uh, or uh, a Darren Williams, your your team is not is not going to be bad. Um, and and it's just such an important position because the guy's got his got, got the ball in his hands most of the game with a 24 second shot clock so many times offense breaks down and and it it really comes down to the point guard being able to create and so if a guy like Kyrie Irving um turns out to be a a star player then you know Cleveland uh will will turn around their franchise fairly quickly and and be back in playoff contention uh I I don't know that he will be but but certainly uh, of all the players in the draft he, he is the smart pick and the guy who's got the best chance to be a, a, a superstar. So, uh, yeah, it's a very important day for them, and, and we'll see what they do with that second pick. But uh, uh, clearly uh, Kyrie Irving, 
I think has a chance to be very, very good for a long time. And, and if you've got a really good point guard, you're, you're off to a good start. You know, after this weekend, when the draft ends, uh, the NHL is going to give out their awards. They're going to have a draft over the weekend. Uh, Wimbledon will be going on. But it's really going to be time for everyone to look up and say, oh, hi, baseball. How's it going? And uh, we talked a little bit to uh, Joe Lemire earlier about the baseball season. Have you warmed up to it yet? Uh, are you looking forward to writing more about it as it kind of will be standing alone while the NFL sorts out their labor problems? Or where do you stand with baseball? You know, I'm not a huge baseball guy uh, per se. I am going to cover the All-Star game uh, next month, and uh, so that'll be interesting. But uh, I'm not a huge baseball guy. You know, the season is just so long, and, and, and the problem with writing baseball from a columnist perspective uh, and certainly from a national columnist, is that it's hard to it's hard to, to look at any particular game as, as important. And, and typically, that's what you're there to do is, yeah. is, is tell somebody why something is important. And and when you're kind of parachuting in as a columnist to, to do one baseball game or or even one series, uh, it's difficult to do that. Uh, and so I, it'll be interesting to see. You know what? What kind of uh, uh, stuff we come up with in July and August? I, I would prefer to cover baseball personally as as more of a you know feature oriented. Uh, find some interesting interesting stories um, that maybe you know have have not been told before or have not fully been told before, and that's that's hard to do. But you know, there's not a huge window for baseball anymore because. Uh, we're almost to July, and then once you get into August, and, and I do think the NFL thing will probably be sorted out, you go right into training camp for the NFL and, and college football. And, right. and, and so, you, so it's really, you know, not a huge window where baseball is, is on top. And, and, and once, you know, once football starts, NFL and college, uh, they overwhelm baseball in terms of interest. Will you write about Derek Jeter when he hits his 3,000th hit? You know, I haven't really uh, thought about that, um, and I know he's he's you know six. It's a little more uncertain now because of of the injury situation. When when exactly that's going to happen? Um, there's going to be a lot of people writing about the the three thousandth hit. Uh, I I don't know that uh, that's an area where I, I have a lot to contribute. Um, he's obviously had a great career. Um, you know, I am not big on on those kinds of numbers. Uh, three thousand hits to me is is interesting, but it's not like a uh, incredibly significant uh, you know moment to me it is to a lot of people but it's hard for me to write something that is not significant to me and, and the luxury um, of being you know a, a columnist is that you don't have to right is there anything is there anything you miss covering that you did cover as a print columnist that doesn't necessarily fit like here's here's what I this what? is a better way to put it. Uh, I was listening to the Mad Dog talk about how he switched from being part of Mike and the Mad Dog and being able to do these six hour talk shows about the Mets and now switching to the National and being on Sirius and and not having that. Do you miss having the built in columns or the local features or do you enjoy the kind of freedom that this national audience has given you? Well, I, both are interesting, and, and they're certainly, uh, you know, when I was when I was on the Memphis basketball uh, beat, and then when I became a columnist in Memphis, you know, I had enough uh, equity built up in within the fan base there and, and and our readership that when I said something, people knew it was 
coming from a, a place of of a lot of knowledge and and uh, agree or disagree with how with what I said or the way I said it. I think I think most people um, you know knew that because of my history and my credibility on that topic that uh, uh, they were reading something that was that it was they were reading it for a reason. Um, and but you know but a national audience is a little bit different so. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how to answer that question. Um, I like both, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, but you know, when you can get this kind of audience, and and you're you know you're writing about about the the most important stuff going on in sports, um, that's really exciting as well. And you know, um, to, to have an opportunity to you know uh, be at an NBA Finals and 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 write those columns, you know, people. People are interested in what you have to say about LeBron, so um, I, I think they're both neat and challenging in different ways. Yeah, you know, I think maybe in your career, something that touch that I, I would think of is you did get to when you were in Colorado. You spent a little time covering NCAA hockey. That's probably not anything you'd ever write for for the daily. You know what I mean? So that's true. No, yeah. I, no, I mean that's that's a very niche sport. But I'll tell you, I had a blast covering it uh, back when I when I was. Uh, you know, just starting out in in the business, and and had a lot of fun those years. You know, covering college hockey beat, and great, just a great sport, great fans, and uh, uh, really exciting. You know, it's a long season; they play a lot of games, and and they, you know, and then it's kind of a really short postseason. It's but it's a neat that that's a neat niche sport that uh, you know, unless unless there was a great you know personal story, I probably wouldn't wouldn't cover. Did you get to cover any players in college hockey that went on to good NHL careers? I know Chris Butler is a Buffalo Saber who played at the University of Denver. I don't know if you would have been gone by the time no. he got there, but yeah, no, I I, I didn't know him. Um, you know, at the time that I was uh, at at uh, Colorado College uh, covering that beat, um, they had some really really good players. The guy who ended up off of those teams having the best. Uh, there, there are two two defensemen who had pretty who have had pretty good NHL careers. Uh, one was Tom Pricing, uh, who's I think out of the league now, mostly due to injury. And uh, Mark Stewart um, was with yep. the Bruins for a while. I, I can't remember where he was. San Jose, recently. I think. San Jose. Is okay. That sound right? uh, no, that's uh, yeah. I can't remember where Mark Stewart is, but he he was with those teams. Uh, 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 Mark Collin ha- had. Had a, a little bit of a had a little bit of a, a run in the NHL. Uh, Brett Sterling got some time with the Atlanta Thrashers. He was on those teams. Uh, Joey Crab, you know, was on those teams. He's been up and down. A lot of guys. I, I covered a lot of guys who had a cup of coffee in the NHL, right. uh, but never really stuck. Yeah, it's too bad you weren't there last year because they had the stud of the nation and a guy that you're going to hear a lot about named Jaden Schwartz. Who, uh, right. yeah, who is a first-round pick and is an absolute, absolute stud. So I'm excited to see how his career goes. Uh, Sportscaster's here with Dan Wilkin. He writes for The Daily, which is an app on the iPad. They also have a blog. I think it's just thedaily.com. I don't know. Do any of your columns ever end up on the blog on thedaily.com? No. Uh, I do tweet links to my columns. Okay, and, uh, at Dan Wolken. You can read an HTML form, HTML form. Okay, gotcha. Awesome. So you can find those on Twitter. He is just at 
his name, correct? Right, at yeah. Dan Wolken, D-A-N-W-O-L-K-E-N. Okay, awesome. Okay, so just a couple more questions before we let you go. Maybe talk a little bit more about uh, your challenge at the Daily. Uh, you said you're going to be covering the All-Star Game. What else are you looking to do this summer? You know, it's a good question. You know, I just finished this stretch of uh, the NBA Finals and then the U.S. Open last week. And then uh, actually this week I'm, I'm actually out of town uh, working on a feature story. And then I'm going to head back uh, home in New York. And then I'm going to head back out to, to do the All-Star Game. And then after that, uh, I think it'll kind of be transitioning into planning for, for football season. And, um, you know, I, I think we've got the U.S. Open tennis, you know, coming up in August. Yep. That's, a, that's a big event uh, over here. I think uh, – I think I'm probably going to end up covering the PGA Championship as well. We'll see if uh, Tiger Woods is healthy by then. So uh, those are kind of some of the things I'm looking at this summer, but uh, uh, haven't really you know, fully formulated my plans yet. How impressive was Rory McIlroy? Oh, uh, very. Uh, and I think uh, it was, it was an, for, for a tournament that was kind of over by Friday, was was interesting and compelling on the weekend and uh you know he's a great player great talent i think he's i think he's got whatever it is he's got it uh i think very easy to like player um seems like a good a good kid great personality and and uh has a great golf swing and and i i really i really uh like rory mcelroy quite a bit and uh, what he did at the open was uh was phenomenal and you know, now the expectations for him change uh, tremendously, and, and, and people are, are going to expect you know, that him to be um, you know, winning more majors pretty soon. And, and so it'll be interesting to see how he stands up to that challenge because I think it's only going to get harder now, not easier for him to uh, meet, meet the expectations. Yeah, I would have never asked you this question last week, but since you're on this week, I'll ask you, do you think Rory McIlroy, I mean, there's never going to be another Tiger Woods per se, but do you think he can kind of go on a run and dominate the sport, similar to the way Tiger Woods did when he burst onto the scene with that huge win at the Masters in 1997? Well, what's interesting, if you look back, you know, Woods won the ma- that Masters, and then he, he went 0 for 10 in the next 10 majors. So I don't think you know, Rory McIlroy uh, can afford to, to do that. And when I say afford, I mean, in terms of what people expect and, and, and to, to continue the narrative of him being, you know, the, this great talent uh, that, uh, that can, can do all these things that people are talking about this week. I think he's got to win, you know, another major or two here fairly quickly. And, um, and that's going to be, that's going to be hard to do, but uh, you know, he's been in contention the last few and, and, you know, if he wins the British Open next month, then all of a sudden, you know, people, uh, that's really going to start moving the needle and people are going to start really, I think, buying into him as, as a guy who can, uh, who's going to dominate this game for a while. But you have to remember, he's only won three times as a professional now. So right. he, he's got a ways to go. All right, absolutely. He's play, played in 10 majors, finished in the top 10 five times, and the one win and one meltdown, one he should have won, one he won. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Dan Wilkin is from The Daily. Again, if you have an iPad, I, I strongly suggest giving it a try. Uh, it's a really fun read every day. The only complaints I have, Dan, is how do I find the article you wrote yesterday today? 
that's that's a good question, and um, you know, I think right now the cap- the, the the capability of, uh, of of that, and, and you have to remember, it, you know, technologically, it's a massive undertaking to to launch something like that. And um, at this point, you can save articles, but uh, if you have not saved it, you, you can't yet go back and, and look in an archive yet. So right. Um, it, it, you know, as this thing evolves, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But uh, to this point, that 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 is not uh, not part of the makeup of of the app yet. All right. Well, tell Mr. Murdoch that that's what I want first. I want to see. Uh, All right. Well, I will uh, <laughs> when I when I when I report back home, I will uh, tell them that that is uh, that has been requested. All right, Dan. It was a really good time. Thank you very much for being with us on Sportscasters. No, thank you. All right, the Sportscasters, super summer spectacular, one segment left. I want to thank our guests today. All three were awesome. Joel Lemire, Tim Graham, Dan Wolken, thank you to all three. Three were great guests. The Sportscasters is better for having them on. I want to thank them very much for being there. You can follow all three of them on Twitter. Uh, Let's start with Tim Graham. He is at ESPN underscore AFC East. Soon you'll be able to find him at by Tim Graham. Also, you can follow Dan Wolken on Twitter. He is at Dan Wolken, W-O-L-K-E-N. And Joe Lemire is also on Twitter. He is at S-I underscore Joe Lemire. That is L-E-M-I-R-E. Uh, just a couple more reminders. Make sure you find us on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash the sportscasters. Follow us on Twitter. We are at sports underscore casters. Don is at Don Likes Sports, and I am at Diversity23. You can also follow our blog. Don has an idea. He may blog about his week without sports. Kind of push him to do that. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of dominate the blog. I think I have about 35, and Don has two. So let's try to get Don on the blog a little bit more, and I'm sure he'd be encouraged to do that if we had more people checking it out. It is thesportscasters.blogspot.com. And you can always email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. We'd like to hear more from you, what you want from the show. Uh, pretty much anything anything anyone's ever asked us, we have delivered. Uh, and one of the first requests was Joe Piznanski. We got Joe Piznanski. Someone wanted to hear about stadiums. We got the guy from the Greatest Ultimate Sports Road Trip. He was a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, we, you know, anything you want, just ask, and we'll do our best to get it. And all that information is on our website, thesportscasters.com. Dot com. You won't find us there, but you will find us at sports-casters.com. That's right. And we are on Stitcher now. We're on iTunes, pretty much anywhere. Let's, let's do pick four. We took a week off last week, but believe it or not, we're still horrible at it. My record overall is 46 and 47. Don is 45 and 48. Ugh. We made a slight change. We got rid of the worldwide leader section, and instead we're going to play a game called Winning Pitcher of the Week. Uh, each of us will pick one pitcher each week if they win the game. That is, if they get the W, not if their team wins. We'll get credit for a win and pick four. If they get a no decision or lose, we will get a loss. And we'll only be able to use each pitcher once in the summer, although both of us could use the same pitcher. For example, we could both have Greg Maddox, but I wouldn't be able to pick Greg Maddox twice. Right. And it would be a bad pick because he is retired. That's true. But uh, let's start it off with the game of the week, which is the Tampa Bay Rays featuring their stud, Price. 
at the Brewers featuring Markham. That's Wednesday, 210. Two of the better teams in the league playing this week in interleague. It's the third game of their set. And uh, that game interests me. 210. I'm going to pick the Tampa Bay Rays uh, just in honor of Jonah Carey in his book, The Extra 2%. That's good. So hopefully I'll gain a point here. I took the Brewers. Uh, pretty identical records. And I'm just going with the home team. Winning pitcher of the week. My first choice is going to be from my favorite team, the ace, J.J. Jurgens. He's 9-3 with a 2.11 ERA, and he gets to play the Pirates this week, or the Padres. I'm sorry, one of the worst teams in the National League. At games Friday at 8.35 p.m., I will pick Jurgens to win. My winning pitcher of the week is Ryan Vogelsong. Not a guy I've ever heard of before. You uh, not a young guy. He's 33 years old, uh, and he's not a great pitcher in his career, but he's having a great year. He's 4-1 and one with a 1.92 ERA. He pitches for the Giants this Wednesday at 10.15 p.m., and I'm going to take him over the Twins. Going with the champs. Going with the champs. Host choice. I am going to stick with the stud pitchers. I'm going to take the Red Sox behind Lester. To beat the Pirates on Friday, 7.05 <laughs> in beautiful PNC Park. Uh, I hope to be there. Again, we don't do this at the same time. Usually I come in with a slip of paper with all mine written down. I also took Boston over Pittsburgh on Friday. All right. I knew that was a good pick. Yep. My bold prediction on the blog, kind of a cross-promotion here. My last blog, More Three Things. Uh, I talked a little bit about Chris Jury, and I'd love for you to read that. But also, I made my predictions for the seven main awards that will be given out at the NHL awards ceremony tomorrow night or Wednesday night, depending on how you, you read it. I picked seven different awards, and my bold prediction is just that six of those seven will be right. Okay. I was going to look at them and try to argue them, but another day. <laughs> yeah, we don't have much time, I don't think. No. But it, real quick, I picked Tim Thomas to win the Vesna. I picked uh, Zidane Char to win the Norris. I picked uh, Skinner to win the Calder. I, I picked Sedin to win the the heart. It's a good call there year. It could also be Couture, who you mentioned. Yep, the call there year is great. I mentioned that in the blog that all three could easily win, but I went with the youngest of the three and the cutest of the three. Yeah, he looks like he's ten years old. Yep. Um, my bold prediction is that again, I'm not a tennis guy, but uh, I know they're not what they used to be. But there's somewhat uh, the Williams. Serena already won her match today. Actually, they both have won their match today at Wimbledon. Yep, Serena in three sets, Venus in two. And Serena said something along the lines of, I was hoping to just come and win one match, and I, I think she's coming off an injury or something like that. Yeah, she sounded real emotional. So I'm going to ride her emotional roller her wave, I should say, and I'm going to say that both Williams sisters will make it to the quarterfinals, which will be played next Tuesday when we podcast. All right. Thanks again to our guests. Now, as we go, well, just real quickly, where we go from here. I don't think we're going to stop. I think we're going to go straight through. It's, all, it's already practically July anyway. And at any point, football could be back. And I'd hate to be dark when football comes back. July 1's coming along. Yeah, That's great for you hockey. know, uh, July 1's going to be along. And I think we'll be live blogging that, one or both of us. Uh, and there's just going to be a lot to do. I, I think it's going to be a different July because football has been away. Maybe next July we'll have some time to take off. But I think right now, I, don't, I appreciate everyone who listens, but I don't know that you'd still listen if we went away for a month. I, you know, I don't know if we've established ourselves at that point. I kind of want to keep working hard and keep creating good content for everybody. 
And I have a lot of stuff lined up. We have all the stuff that we have to do for uh, the Fatty Hockey League still. Uh, we're going to interview Dave Justice sometime around All-Star Weekend. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, AJ Delirio from Deadspin.com is going to be on. Uh, Damon Hack from SI.com, who just had triplets, is going to be on in July. We're going to hopefully be able to hook back up with Joe Piznaski this month. And also, we will talk to John Wertheim when he gets back from Wimbledon. So there's a lot to do, a lot of sportscasters to come. I hope you enjoyed this really long episode. I hope that the length of it didn't intimidate you. Uh, don't be afraid to listen in parts. We would split it up, but last time that was just kind of a disaster. So we'll just, didn't like it. Yeah, so we'll just leave it to you to decide when you want to stop and start again. Uh, but it's a, it's a really great podcast. I think it's one of the better ones we've done. So enjoy it. Don, cue the hip. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.